Matt Hardy. Look at it. has got. He's close to the money. He's almost within arm's reach of the money here. I've never seen anything like this in my life, JR. Extraordinary competitors. These guys are giving their all. They're giving it to the fans. They're giving it for the fans of the WWF here. And for Terry. Don't forget Terry. Oh, oh. Edge. Oh, the map coming to the ladder. Jeff Hardy. The ladder teetering. Edge went down. Christian went down. Matt Hardy's got the money. Wait. Show me the money. Matt Hardy. He can't get it. He got it. Oh, no. Oh, money. The Hardys have they won the match. Hello, my name is Chris White, and welcome to the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. We're going back in the time machine to October of 1999 to bring you the second part of this month's WWF coverage. Joining me, we have firstly Eric Landstrom. Eric, how are you doing? Chris, happy to be here. And we also have Davinda Vargas. Uh, Davinda, good to have you back on again. Chris, Eric, always good to be back. Eric, would you kindly uh, kick us off with some news for the month, please? Vince Russo and Ed Ferrara, the men who were responsible for writing the WWF television shows that have been drawing huge ratings for the past year, abruptly quit the company and signed on with WCW over the weekend. Both men had been working without contracts for the WWF. Russo, in various interviews, cited the burnout factor of working so many hours with the added stress of the SmackDown show as the main reason behind the move. Russo's official title in WCW will be Creative Supervisor, and he's been given full authority on all matters when it comes to creative and booking. Russo and Ferrara start officially on the 11th of October Nitro. If nothing else, this maneuver will probably answer the question as to who is really responsible for the success of Raw. Although Russo and Ferraro were said to have come up with many ideas, Vince McMahon was still the final editor, tweaking concepts and throwing out ones he didn't think would work. The television writing for WWF will be in the hands of Terry Taylor, Bruce Pritchard, Bill Banks, who's a writer for the WWF magazines, and Kevin Kelly. Uh, in sad news this month, we had uh, the passing of Bob Gino Morella, who uh, performed under the uh, ring name Gorilla Monsoon, was a fixture in the pro wrestling world of, across the last four decades. Um, he sadly passed away on the 6th of October at his home in Mooresville, New Jersey, at the age of 62, uh, due to heart failure brought on by complications of his diabetes. Uh, his final appearance on WWF television was as one of the three judges for a brawl for all contest between Buck Gunn and Butterbean at WrestleMania 15. Uh, the first SmackDown of the month opened with a special video tribute uh, airing, honouring the life of Gorilla Monsoon, and it featured Vince McMahon calling him one of the finest men I ever knew. And Jerry Lawler didn't shock the world. The second attempt in a one-year period of a man who gained national fame as a heel-color commentator on WWF broadcast to a major elected office didn't have the same result as the first. Lawler finished in third place in a crowded mayoral race in his home city of Memphis, garnering a total of 19,000 votes, or about 12% of the total, well behind the 75,000 votes picked up by incumbent and eventual winner Willie Harrington. Willie picked up 75%. Behind him was Joe Ford, finishing with 41,000 votes for 25%. 
Well, Lawler did still finish ahead of more than a dozen other candidates in the race. And the uh, WWF No Mercy pay-per-view, which we'll talk about uh, in length here, saw the company put on one of its strongest pay-per-views this year. Before an advanced sellout crowd of 18,000, my goodness, Edge, Christian, and the Hardy Boys took a big step towards being recognized as something more than uh, people in the pack, garnering a standing ovation for their ladder match, which featured a series of creative and very high-risk spots built around the ladder. And even and even with one of the stronger main events of the year, with WWF champ uh, Hunter Hearst Helmsley finally garnering his long-awaited win over Steve Austin when Rock's interference backfired, it was the younger wrestlers who left a lasting impression and were the subject of the buzz after the show. Uh, this show will get its full and due recap uh, later on here. Chris, back to you. Thank you very much, Eric. Uh, thank you for taking us through the news. Um, Devinder, I'll come to you first. Uh, sort of the biggest news story, really, for the wrestling landscape uh, as we stand in October 1999 is obviously the departure of Russo and Ferrara uh, making the jump from the WWF to WCW. How do you think this will impact the Fed moving forward and how much of a loss, really, can we say this is for the company? Uh, you know, you were talking about we're going to find out who's responsible for the success. But, I mean, even... For me, even if you're part of the writing team, you're responsible for the success. So I think there will be an obvious impact in the quality of the uh, of the shows. Not saying that it's going to be worse, but there you will see a change. There's a ribbon pond, and it's going to affect everything. Uh, and I mean, we'll talk about it sort of in the context of the No Mercy pay per view, but. This month as well saw the departure of Jeff Jarrett, who left WWF and went back to WCW in a move that was largely meant to be because he's basically one of Russo's guys. Um, And Russo had these plans for pushing Jeff Jarrett right to the top of the card. He wanted to do Jarrett versus Austin as this big feud. And apparently Austin and Vince uh, both nicked the idea because they didn't see Jarrett at that level. and I think anyone who's been paying attention to the WWF since Jarrett returned to the company would be <laughs> hard pressed to say that he'd done anything to deserve um, sort of that spot on the card. So mm-hmm. if that, if looking at the uh, situation just from the through the lens of Jeff Jarrett, I mean, it doesn't bode well for my opinion on Vince Russo. But is it is I mean, ultimately, it's impossible to say what he was responsible for, what Ed Ferrara was responsible for, and how much of it is. Vince McMahon and I guess time will tell um there's there's no real way uh to know the sort of weight of responsibility that that people deserve for for writing these shows and I mean these shows do have issues like it's not like Raw has been perfect all year like ratings wise this is huge success but there's there's issues and it, it I don't think this will be some sort of drastic sort of turnaround that sees raw ratings start like well, spiraling out of control. Yeah, and you know the thing is, like, I bet Vince McMahon is very hands-on with Austin and Rock and, and Hunter Hearst Helmsley and The Undertaker. I don't know how hands-on he is with uh, guys like Takamichi Noku and Val Venus and D'Lo Brown and, and Draws. And so... 
you know, we'll see if if the influence on maybe on the undercard is felt more in WCW than it is on the on the upper card, because it seems like maybe um, that's potentially where Russo's input and Ferrar's input might have been more felt because everybody had storylines, whereas you look in before, it's always been Hogan had a storyline. Uh, Mr. Perfect had a storyline. Warrior had a storyline. And then it was just a bunch of underneath guys having matches. So I, I, maybe that's what will happen. But WCW has been pretty good lately. So hopefully they don't rock the boat too much. Do you, if, do you guys feel that uh, that these undercard guys now feel like, damn it, my support is gone? You think they're they're fearing for their placement on the card or what storylines they're involved in? Man, I think I think we just have to wait and see because, you know, this is all just speculation. But that is my thing. Like if if if. These guys have kind of been the advocate for the underneath guys. Uh, you know, we've seen that that bottom third of the ro- roster shuffle in and out uh, pretty much like clockwork every couple of years over the last decade. So we'll see if that happens again. And I mean, if it, it means that Russo is the one responsible for the Al Snow Bossman storyline and culminating in the kennel from hell, um, I mean, then I won't miss it on my TV screen. Uh, there's a lot. There's been a lot of shit in the undercard. Let's not forget. Yeah. Main event's been great most of the time, but the undercard has been hit and miss. And I do find, I mean, it's reportedly that the vast majority of sort of backstage talent, um, like non-on-screen personnel, are working uh, without contracts. It's n- it's completely not out of the ordinary and not out of the norm. Um, we do feel if Vince McMahon felt that these two guys in particular were just absolutely vital to the success of his company, then they'd have been given contracts. Like <laughs> that would have happened um, a long time ago. Um, if Vince had felt strongly that uh, he was relying on these two guys to uh, sort of run his company and book so many hours of first run cable tv each week now with the addition of smackdown and the fact that didn't happen um i think has to you have to take that into consideration as well and uh, from the wwf side of things maybe too much won't change and like you say the main event will always be the main event and vince probably has his hands all over it The first Raw of the month kicked off with the New Age Outlaws, Kane and X-Pac, the Acolytes and the Hollies facing off in a four-way match. The Outlaws and the Hollies were counted out as they brawled on the outside. This left X-Pac and Kane and the Acolytes, and after X-Pac refused to tag Kane in, he eventually found himself staring at the ceiling while the ref counted to three. In a segment we'll recap on the main show, we saw replays on the incident with Bulldog and Stephanie McMahon at Rebellion, before Bulldog cut a promo insulting Vince McMahon before China challenged him to a match. From a local hospital, tests revealed that Stephanie McMahon was suffering from post-concussion syndrome, meaning their wedding would be delayed. With round two of the Terry Invitational, with Edge picking up the win following a spear to Jeff. Triple H then made his way out to address the capacity crowd, making it clear that he plans to destroy Steve Austin at no mercy. The champion then called Jim Ross into the ring, forcing the announcer to watch an interview he conducted with Austin last week. The rattlesnake had many harsh words in the segment, mostly directed towards Triple H. The champion then pressed Ross until he made clear his negative feelings towards the Greenwich native, statements that led to a brutal assault on the announcer. Jeff Jarrett and Ivory teamed up to face Mae Young and the fabulous Moolah. Jarrett didn't actually compete in the bout, sending in Miss Kitty as a stand-in. Kitty was no match for the more experienced Young and Moolah, soon losing after a roll-up. 
Post-match, Jarrett faced Kitty in a figure of four. Mankind came out for a promo, announcing that he had decided not to break up the Rock and Sock connection. Foley made it clear he considered this pairing to be the highlight of his storied career, and he didn't want it to end on this night. Rock didn't seem too pleased, but was quickly interrupted by Chris Jericho. Jericho made it known he thought there were some overtones to the relationship between Mankind and The Rock. Rock v Jericho is booked for later tonight. Bulldog was next on Raw, taking on China in singles competition. The ninth wonder of the world dominated until Jeff Jarrett ran in for the DQ. Bulldog then power slammed an already unconscious China to send a message to Triple H. The Dudley Boys defeated Stevie Richards as Dude Love and Mankind after Val distracted Stevie. And in our main event, The Rock defeated Chris Jericho following a rock bottom onto a steel chair. A short tribute was aired celebrating the life of the late Gorilla Monsoon to open the second draw of the month. Vince got things started at the Georgia Dome by introducing Stone Cold Steve Austin, who challenged Triple H to face him tonight. Hunter came out but attacked Jim Ross as he did, who retaliated and attacked the champion with the help of Austin. China made the save and Hunter challenged Austin and Ross to a tag match tonight. Billy Gunn defeated Crash Holly after a famouser. We were set for Ivory vs Mae Young, but Ivory attacked Mae with the belt before we could get started. Fabulous Muda came in to save her friend and run off the champion. We had an interview with Shane and Stephanie McMahon where the emotional trauma of, where the emotional trauma of Stephanie's amnesia was made abundantly clear as she couldn't even remember her fiancé test. Round 4 of the Terry Invitational was next up, edging Christian against the Brood. No winner was decided on this night as Tim White disqualified both teams. The Rock cut a promo telling us he didn't care about Mankind, the Bulldog or Kevin Kelly. Mankind then appeared to confront The Rock, but before tensions could boil over, Vince announced that the duo would face off via the Bulldog and Val later in the night. X-Pac defeated Farouk before both acolytes beat him down. Kane came out, but stood back and watched the beatdown for a while as X-Pac had asked him not to interfere. Eventually Kane ran in and cleaned house. Chris Jericho and Mr Hughes teamed up to take on the newly reformed headbangers. The dissension between Jericho and Hughes hit its peak as Y2J wound up abandoning the big man, leaving him easy prey for the headbangers to pick up the win. Big Shell was then shown doing his best to cope with the revelation his father was terminally ill. D'Lo Brown tried to console him but to no avail. The Godfather faced off against Mark Henry under Hojack rules, with the Godfather's hose taking on the role of Lumberjacks, Godfather picking up the win over a rather distracted opponent. Big Show defeated the Bossman by a DQ after around 30 seconds after Bossman attacked with a nightstick. Bossman had infuriated Show by stating he didn't care about the condition of his father. We had Austin and JR take on Triple H and China, ending in a no contest. Austin and Hunter brought all through the Georgia Dome, and China attacked Ross until Jeff Jarrett attacked her. In our main event, the Rock and Sock connection faced Val Venus and the Bulldog. Mankind came down to ringside carrying a tray of dog excrement that had been collected from backstage. Yes, really, the match ended when the Bulldog was hit by a rock bottom right into the excrement. Before Raw went off the air, we saw the continuing brawl between Triple H and Steve Austin in the backstage area, which ended with the champion being thrown into a darkened room, which had a real live rattlesnake in it. This week, one of the greatest men I've ever known, Robert James Morella, passed away at age 62. He was celebrated and beloved worldwide as legendary superstar, Gorilla Monsoon. To his friends, he was known simply as Gino. Gino had a gorilla-sized passion for life, this business, and more importantly, the people in it. Behind the scenes, he was a cornerstone in the World Wrestling Federation. Our thoughts and prayers go out to his wife Maureen 
and his entire family, with great sadness and heavy hearts, we say goodbye to Gino, a very special man who lived a very special life. Test, I know these are hard times for you. You've been with Stephanie ever since the unfortunate accident. Can you give us an update on her condition? Michael, all the doctors have told me that Steph has post-concussion syndrome with major head trauma. I mean, Steph's in there fighting. She didn't do a damn thing to deserve this. Well, I know this is not the most opportune time, but does this affect the wedding in any way? Wedding? Man, she doesn't even recognize me. So before we get uh, to the pay-per-view, we have four episodes of TV to traverse. Uh, I'd like to start by talking about uh, the British Bulldog and the month he had, a couple of weeks he had leading into the pay-per-view. Um, so as you heard on part one of the WWF shows this month, we had the Rebellion uh, pay-per-view, which took place over here in the UK Uh during that show, in a backstage segment, the British Bulldog angrily confronted Vince McMahon and Shane McMahon about not getting a WWF title shot in his home country. And in his anger, throwing a tantrum, he threw a garbage can across the room, which uh, accidentally hit Stephanie McMahon. Um, so we had a recap of that on the first Royal of the month. Bulldog made his way to the ring to offer up an apology of sorts for the incident. But uh, the apology also accompanied by several insults directed at Vince McMahon. Uh, the Manchester native announced that he would be facing the Rock at No Mercy, and he made it known that he was still gunning for that WWF title and wanted a shot at the belt. Uh, later on the show, Test revealed Stephanie McMahon was having post-concussion syndrome. Uh, she was suffering from that, uh, his, and also stated that his fiance didn't even recognise him after the incident, and it meant that the uh, wedding was going to be delayed. Shane McMahon announced the postponement of the Tess Stephanie McMahon uh, wedding until she fully recovers and remembers who Tess is. Uh, later on Raw, uh, Vince demanded an apology from Bulldog, um, who flatly refused to do so purely out of uh, anger and disdain for Vince and how he felt he'd been unfairly treated by not yet receiving a singles opportunity for the WWF title. Um, last month, uh, Billy and I broke down the under an underwhelming first few weeks for the Bulldog back in the company, and uh, we start this month now with him having turned heel. Uh, he's in a program with The Rock, feuding with Vince McMahon, and he's got his eyes set on the WWF title if his promos are to be, are to be believed. Uh, what are you making of Bulldog's return to the company at this stage? It seems like he's in like on TV at least, positioning himself in a reasonably prominent spot. I was excited to see Bulldog back because even though he's had spats in WCW here and there, he's always, to me, been a WWF guy. He's part of the Hart clan. And yeah, as a big Brett and even bigger Owen Mark, Bulldog's always kind of been one of my guys. And I think he just needed to come home after all that bullshit with Montreal Unfortunately, uh, I don't think he's quite as going to be quite as physically able as he once was uh, because of the uh, injuries and the way he's kind of treated himself over the years. But I was still happy to see him back and then to see him back kind of thrust into and they did what they did with the uh, with the boss man where they, you know, they, they kind of new aired him up. He's not wearing the uh, the tights with the flag on it. He's coming out to, you know, rock music and dark 
dogs barking. And so, yeah, it's an updated bulldog. And the fact that they've kind of thrusted him uh, kind of adjacent to the main event is cool, too. And then you kind of realize, oh, you see him fight The Rock and they have a good match. But it's like he's definitely not the old bulldog and he's definitely just a get over guy now for sure. Um, and so I'm glad they've kind of got him back. And I think he, he has a spot on this roster as, as a heel now, too. And then he can turn babyface again because everybody loves the bulldog. Um, but uh, I, I think... I think the shine of his return kind of wore off pretty quickly and that's concerning from like a long-term perspective, but I could see him sticking around for, uh, in a semi main event spot for a good long while here. Uh, Davinda, uh, anything to add on sort of the first month and a half in for the bulldog heading into no mercy. Yeah. I'm going to join the club when I say that I'm a huge bulldog fan and, um, I'm just, just kind of split in the way he's being presented. He's being presented, uh, and uh, he's talking, uh, you know, like a threat. Like, he's going to go there. He's going to get to the main event, and he's going to get the title. And for me, when I first saw him, I thought there was, like, like some kind of career renaissance. Like, okay, this is the time where he finally gets it. Um, but then um, you see that he just isn't the same wrestler as he was before. And sure, that those kinds of things can be masked. But when he's being put up against The Rock, who's on his way up, you realize that he is going to be the guy to put over the younger guys. But I feel like he always ha- he will always have a presence on the card. I feel like he'll be one of those guys that can go for the title, not over and over, but he'll be in title matches. And I don't feel like it'll hurt him when he loses. Even though deep down inside I'll be cheering for him, I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't get to that spot. I think he's coming in now as a veteran, um, teaching some lessons and just putting over the younger guys. I, Chris, I also think we should just talk about, and I, I know that the, you guys talked about it on the other show, but like for those of you who haven't listened to volume WWF volume 1.1 this month, um, that scene with the trash can shot is not to be missed. So awesome. Go check it out. Just amazing, amazing stuff. I think, uh, I mean, I would also class myself as a Bulldog fan. And if the, uh, like people have listened to uh, the WWF show from last month, um, Billy certainly was as well. But we were both certainly much less positive about sort of his role in the company at this stage. And I don't think he looked good in the uh, main event last month, um, Unforgiven in the six-way and uh i mean when i think when you look like he's he's a heel in a program with a rock like running angles with a rock on tv but also feuding with vince mcmahon and gunning for the wrf title mm-hmm. i'm just not sure at this stage the wrestler justifies that positioning um and i mean there were times last month where uh it it was positive in a in a nostalgic way, but also quite disheartening at times um, to see him look not quite the bulldog that everyone does love. Um, and I think he had a better month um, in October than he did um, the prior. But I still wonder. I mean, if you're having him in this like upper mid card 
pushing kind of for a main event in there it looks like main event spot but in there with main event guys and and often losing and then maybe that is the perfect role for him at this stage um but i'm not sure you're gonna ever get anything out of him work weight right work rate wise that will justify uh, being positioned any higher than that anymore Remember, Stone Cold Steve Austin was, I mean, he was pounding Triple H earlier in the evening. Stone Cold had said he wants Triple H to meet a friend of his. Well, Triple H met that friend all right, that deadly rattlesnake. Oh, my God. Is that wrestling, Vince? Is that professional wrestling? Is that what I signed up for in this company? You said to me when I came here, you said to me, I will give you the opportunity. You have taken every opportunity of my life now away from me by putting me in that position. So I'm telling you now, the hardest thing I've ever had to do in my life. But I'm telling you now, it's over. I'm done. What? I quit. What? I can't do this anymore. Triple H just said he quit. I, I, I can't believe it. Vince, you screwed yourself. There is going to be no main event Sunday, so all the coins can fall out of your pocket. Because even if I wanted to, Vince, I couldn't come to that building. But I don't want to anymore. This is not fun anymore. It's not what I signed up for. So Sunday, it's off. I am done. Whatever you want to do, that's fine. I don't care. And when Steve Austin gets here, I want Steve Austin to look me in my eyes. I want Steve Austin to see what he's done to me because this is just as much his fault as it is yours. I want him to look in my eyes. I want him to look in my face, Vince. The face that you can't even look at right now. I see him turning away. Everybody's turning away, Vince. I look like a freak. Austin brought the snake to the arena. That's true. When Austin gets here, I want him to look in my eyes, look at my face. I want him to see what he's done, and I will personally put this belt in his hand because obviously it means more than life to Steve Austin so he can have it. Back from the medical center, being helped to the arena by China. Oh, my God. I cannot believe that he's come from the hospital straight here. He's in no condition to be to be here. Hey, hey, it's awesome. Take a good look at it. Take a good look. This is what you did to me. Alright? This 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 belt, it doesn't mean my life. It's not worth my life to me. Obviously it is to you. I don't want this belt. 
You're going to get it this way. Here's the championship. Take it. hope that makes you happy, Steve. Oh, my God. Triple H. He's attacked Austin. How's he? What's that? What's that? Oh, my God. Look at what he's doing. Oh, wait, wait. What's he doing? What's he doing? Oh, my God. He's stealing face off! Triple H just... That, 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 that's where that's going Oh, man! What, what, would it just make up, This stupid son of a bitch! This title means more to me than it ever, ever will to you! Um, moving on uh, to discuss events leading into the match between Triple H and Stone Cold Steve Austin at No Mercy. So, on... Uh, the close of the Raw on the 11th of the month saw Austin and Hunter, who had been booked in a tag match. Um, this is an odd tag match here. So we had Austin and uh, Jim Ross taking on Hunter <laughs> and uh, China. Uh, but that match sort of was was thrown out and uh, Triple H and Stone Cold, they brawled all throughout the arena. Uh, we moved on and had different segments, but we came back to the brawl at the end of the show. And uh, the champion, Triple H, was thrown into a darkened room and locked in there. And in that room was a real live rattlesnake. So uh, a few days later on uh, TV, on the 14th uh, Smackdown, we had Triple H come out and interrupt the New Age Outlaws. And the left side of his face was bruised, swollen and... Uh, he had been bitten by said rattlesnake, and he announced that he'd be retiring effective immediately uh, from wrestling. He called out Vince McMahon, blamed Vince for letting the company uh, deteriorate into a point where poisonous rattlesnakes are allowed into the building. Uh, he said he obviously was bitten by that snake last Monday on Raw, and he told that Vince that when Stone Cold arrives into the arena, he will hand him the belt. Uh, because uh, the title obviously means more to Austin than life itself. So later in that show, we also, uh, China was in panic mode backstage and we saw Triple H seemingly having a seizure of some sorts being driven off by an ambulance. They did return to the building and at the close of the show, uh, he did meet Stone Cold Steve Austin face to face, supposedly ready to hand the title over to Austin. Instead of handing it to him, uh, Austin bought this hook, line and sinker. Triple H laid him out with the title before peeling off the snake bite scars on his face, revealing it had been a ruse all along. So uh, after beating down uh, Austin for a while, Triple H told him that the title means more to him than it would ever possibly mean to Austin. So we still had a main event for the pay-per-view because when you get into the, uh, the closing angle of the go-home show and that angle is that the match is off, I mean, as a fan, you've got to be worried. What if Triple H is telling the truth? But no, it was a ruse all along. And uh, he had, in fact, been faking his snake bites. So, uh, Davinda, what did you make of uh, this move from Hunter and sort of the build between the two men heading into No Mercy? Uh, I, I bought it. Um, I, I bought it because I was like, man, this, it, there was uh, some superb acting on everybody's part. Uh, it was It was like a damn it he got me um when he started attacking austin and i feel like uh it's like what what what, did, what can you expect from triple h now the guy the guy is playing mind games austin bought it and the look on austin's face uh was like man what did what did i do this you know this this is not good news um and it just shows what kind of um lengths triple h would go to just to get under your skin um 
now psychologically I can play into the match coming up that they you know that they're gonna have and um i i'm li- i'm liking this triple h I'm, I'm i really am uh there's a lot of character development and and he's uh he's playing with people's heads and the audience also not just the characters or the the, the wrestler that he's gonna face in this case uh stone cold um eric over to you uh what do you make of the build towards our main event of no mercy yeah, I actually thought this was good. I agree with Devinder. Like, this was some kind of weird, but just stayed on the right side of not cringeworthy. Um, I'm glad that they learned not to use uh, an actual snake. Uh, we saw how that could go sideways for the old macho man. Was that 91 or 92? Rory would know. It's 1991 in California. And it's 1991 in New York. Um. So this was good. It was, I mean, it looked good. It was filmed well. It was kind of believable for a minute, I guess, if you're, if the idea is to suspend disbelief. The makeup was good, uh, and and fair credit to Triple H. He he sold it as well as he can. And then I think it just kind of fell apart with Austin still being this gullible this long after being starting to be fucked with everybody at the top of the card and the boss for about two years. So I, I think that's maybe where it lost me, but. I think the angle was good, and I think it set up uh, Hunter as somebody who really is kind of world championship obsessed. Um, you know, if he wants to be, if he wants to work like Harley Race, this was kind of an updated Harley Race type heel move. The belt means more to me than anything on God's green earth. Yeah, it was fine. It kind of got me into the match um, in a in a creative way, not just a pull apart brawl um, separated by a bunch of referees. Yeah, I do agree. It was a better way to to build a match. And I mean, we've been building the match between these two men for months, really. And uh, the idea of doing something other than just a pull apart brawl, having a contract signing angle, that type of thing, sort of run of the mill stuff and replacing it with something more creative that allowed for Hunter to sort of develop his character into this like willing to do anything to hold on to that belt um yeah i mean that's so much better for him as a main event heel than any sort of brawl or angle like that could have possibly been and it, it i think it did probably enhance uh my probably not if not my excitement for the match but definitely sort of my excitement if that's that's not really the right word, but my sort of enjoyment of Triple H as like the big bad main event heel within the company, um, because it's a different dynamic other than like you say, just pull apart brawls or um, I mean we get to it later in the month, but it's it's not like a, just a pull apart brawl. It's it's a, or or just like a four on one beatdown. It's more dastardly than that, and there's more. There's more character to it than that. And I think adding extra levels to people in the main event is a really important thing to do. Well, it's, it, this whole Triple H thing is interesting because it's it's pretty well uncharted waters for the WWF. I mean, they've lost their, you know, two of their top writing guys and they're running a heel champion. I don't think they've done that since Yokozuna. And I can't remember the time they had a heel champion before then. Um, Iron Sheik for an hour and a half before Hogan beat him, I guess maybe slaughter slaughter. So, I mean, they've had two heel champions before triple H in the last decade. 
Um, this is not something that happens very often uh, for sustained runs. I mean, leading to something, not just as a, a get over. So yeah, the, the fact that they're trying to do something different and they're, it's, it's, it's working for me. It's getting triple H over and he's kind of moved on that like SummerSlam era, this year, whiny, whiny triple H that we were not too fond of. So with that, I think that takes us nicely onto our review of no mercy. Um, Eric, I believe you may have some of the you may have the results to hand to take us through. Uh, I do. Perfect. Thank you very much. Yes, the Godfather defeated uh, Midian. Uh, the fabulous Moolah uh, captured the WWF Women's Championship from Ivory. Yes. Uh, the Hollies, that's Crash and Hardcore, uh, defeated the New Age Outlaws. Uh, Billy Gunn and Road Dog, of course. Um, in a good housekeeping match, uh, China captured the Intercontinental Championship from Jeff Jarrett. Uh, in the match we discussed, The Rock did defeat the British Bulldog. Um, in the finals of a uh, tournament intended for Terry Runnels, I'm not going to say what it is, uh, the new brood, that's Jeff and Matt Hardy, defeated uh, Edge and Christian in a banger of a match for sure. Uh, and then Val Venus defeated Mankind, yes. Um, in a four corners match, X-Pac defeated Bradshaw, Farouk and Kane. And then, yes, in the main event, in a bit of an upset and an anything goes match, Triple H defeated Stone Cold Steve Austin to retain the WWF championship. Devinder, uh, what did you make of uh, No Mercy? No. Oh, so, OK. Sounded like he was there for a second, but uh, he's not. So uh, in, while we uh, wait to get him back on the call, Eric, what did you make of No Mercy? Uh, I wasn't all that high on the card going into it. I don't think even all the matches were announced. And then it opens up with uh, the Godfather and Midian. And, <laughs> and, and, and I was like, oh, shit, it's going to be one of these shows. But actually, uh, it came together and it was quite an entertaining watch. I think it was probably one of the better shows uh, of the year. That first uh, 45 minutes or so was absolutely brutal. And, just, uh, uh, yeah, yes. Uh, as soon as you got through that and you've got that bad taste in your mouth, I think it is a credit to the rest of the show that you come away from it feeling generally positive um, because it it had, like, if things were on an even even keel to start with, that the first three matches do take it down um, somewhat and it has to win you back over. And I think... Between the ladder match, I enjoyed uh, uh, China and uh, Jarrett's match as well. And obviously the main event I enjoyed. And I think by the end of it, it was probably one of the better WWF pay-per-views of the year. Um, which is at times been a reasonably not low bar. Um, but I, I, I did think it was definitely in the upper echelon of those. Devinder, do we have you back? Yes, guys, I'm sorry. No problem at all. Um, just uh, over to you for your uh, sort of overall thoughts on No Mercy heading into the show. Uh, heading into the show, uh, the big matches were exciting. Um, and then, uh, you know, when they say build from the ground up, I feel like it was a well-built card literally from the ground up because that Midian and Godfather match was kind of brutal to watch. Um, there was a spot where uh, Midian he uh, dumped Godfather on the guardrail and he pretty much just dropped him and almost hit his head. 
and Viscera was trying to interfere. And well, I was trying to get through that. And then the women's title match was hard to watch. The, the best part of the women's title match was uh, Jerry Lawler's commentary. But once uh, everything happened, the tag title match, um, Bulldog and Rock, I uh, started getting a lot more entertaining. And then the ladder match, of course, in the main event. Um, going into it, I was uh, I felt confident that I was going to watch a good show. And I ended up watching a pretty good show. So we opened the show with a late addition to the card. It had been made on Heat as the uh, Godfather with his hose faced Midian, who was accompanied by Viscera. Um, so this match, which is uh, sure to get the crowd nice and hot for the rest of the show. Uh, the Godfather starts out firmly in control and it looks like making short work of Midian, uh, setting up for the hose train early. But until Viscera causes a distraction, which allows Midian to jump the Godfather from behind... Viscera slams Godfather's back into the apron, uh, which gives Midian further advantage. Midian capitalizes on this advantage. He takes his opening by locking on a chin lock in the opener. Godfather comes close with a sunset flip, but Viscera has the ref distracted. Eventually, the hoe train leads to the schoolboy roll-up, and the Godfather picks up the win after nearly eight minutes of action. Yes, believe it or not, that match went eight minutes, and that was my recap. I think I said about two things. Um, it was an absolute dud. Eric, what did you make of our opener? Uh, I thought that I had accidentally started watching uh, the, the pre-show, uh, the, the free-for-all, Sunday Night Heat, whatever you want to call it, and um, and this match had spilled over from there. I didn't understand why this match was on the card it, it wasn't horrible. It was not the worst match of the night, um, but I don't think it belonged opening a pay-per-view, and it certainly um, did not get the crowd inspired. Devinda, what did you make of our opening match? Uh, it, it belonged in a house show somewhere. I, 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 it was hard to watch, and um, the thing is, the crowd was only hot because of Godfather's character. And um, nothing was happening in that crowd throughout the entire match. Uh, pretty sloppy. I didn't like Viscera's interference. And the fact that, um, I mean, I'm, I'm an old school guy, so I didn't think you can even put your hands on somebody who's in the match if you're accompanying somebody without being disqualified. Um, just a couple of sloppy things. I didn't like it too much. And it just took the whole train to get the crowd jumping. And once it, it, the, the whole train and the pin were the only things that got the pop. Um, but I didn't I didn't like the, the match very much at all. Yeah, it was a horrible match, which I thought was a horrible choice, like sp- specifically to be an opener on a pay-per-view um, and uh, an absolutely horrible choice to give it eight minutes as well, um, which it definitely did not justify. And I, I do think, Eric, you're probably right in your assessment. It wasn't like a. I mean, I have just used horrible twice there, but it wasn't a horrible match in terms of in-ring. It wasn't like this appalling match. Uh, it was just having it as the opener on a pay-per-view. It's, it's, it's such a good spot on the card to be on because you're going to have a hot crowd and you can set the tone for a show. And then when you go out there and get this for eight minutes, it's just such a detriment to my overall enjoyment and if i'm excited for a show and then the first thing i'm served up is this it really does uh sort of take me down a few pegs for sort of how i feel about the rest of the evening yeah it's a it's a we have your money match uh, very much so 
Moving on. And- Did you guys <laughs> uh, think consider even uh, it, despite? Despite the matches that were set up for the later on in the card, did you guys have an eerie feeling about the night after this match? Yes. Well, if not after the opener, then definitely by the end of this second match, then I was oh. like, what am I watching? My eerie so. feeling was confirmed after the next match. <laughs> <laughs> so moving on to the second match, and we have a match for the WWF women's title with Ivory defending, defending the belt against the fabulous Moolah. Who was accompanied by Mae Young. So, uh, yeah, you heard that correctly, listener. The fabulous Moolah challenging for the WWF Women's title in October of 1999. As you'd expect, Ivory in full control early, and she takes out Mae, who had hopped up on the apron. Uh, Ivory hits, and I say this very, very lightly, a tope. Ivory distracts. Uh, <laughs> Ivory tries to hit Moolah with the belt, uh, but uh, May uh, grabs it to prevent this, and this distraction allows Moolah to roll Ivory up and win the title in a little over two minutes. After two minutes of action, the fabulous Moolah is the WWF Women's Champion in October 1999. Devinda, what did you make of this? Is that is that the real time? Is that the real match time? Yeah, it was it was just over two minutes is what I had it as. Wow, that it seemed like so much longer. Uh, like, <laughs> like I said earlier, with my feelings of the entire pay per view, um, the best part was just watching or sorry, excuse me, hearing Jerry Lawler and his one liners. Just those those were just the best parts. There was a scary part where uh. uh May Young fell off the apron. I genuinely was afraid for her health. These women do not belong in a ring at this age. I don't know how their social security is allowing them to do these jobs. But um, again, it was the character pop. She got the huge pop after the, the sloppy, sloppy pin. And um, oh, good for Mula, right? <laughs> I don't know what, what else to say. Uh, it should be a, a nice thing to tell her great grandchildren that she probably has right now, but but uh that's I, I don't I don't know what else to say. That would that two minutes. It felt like so much longer. But I, I it just like uh just like you guys said, it, it gave me a feeling about the night and I'm like, God, what's what else is gonna happen? But um it was a it was another pretty sloppy, unwatchable match. Eric, over to you. Just disgraceful. Um, (laughs) it it needs to be said that this is a world where we have Ivory who's a good wrestler on one show and we have Jazz on another show who's a good wrestler and we have Medusa on another show who's a good wrestler and then there's about 50,000 that's an obviously uh, 50,000 women around the world who would be better suited in this spot than the fabulous Mula, most of them coming from Japan. Um, and I'm sure I'm missing some. And there's not a strong wrestling, women's wrestling scene in the U.S. right now, and I don't keep up with indie wrestling. I'm sorry, I don't. But I know that in one company, in each of the three big companies, right, we have one good wrestler, and that's kind of an indictment of where the women's scene is. But that doesn't mean that you have to put some put a product on screen that devalues the 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 idea of women's wrestling into something as farcical and and as this and 
it's just disgraceful. And then the other thing is, on a positive note, it saves us about 10 minutes at the end of the year because this has to be the worst match of the year. So we can just skip that segment and copy and paste this into that uh, when the time comes. Thank you. Fair point. I mean, you know, even, one thing one thing that you did speak about that I forgot to touch on was the expense of Ivory. You know, you speak about Medusa and Jazz and Ivory. And these are women that have worked hard, um, probably just as hard as Mullah did in her years, 87 years ago. But at the expense. Too. Oh, that's right. Yes, Jacqueline. yes, Jacqueline too. Uh, these are women that are good wrestlers, and uh, I don't know. I don't know how they feel when they get to the building and they're like, "Hey, you're gonna put her over." Like, damn it! Like, I worked so hard, and now I finally have the belt, and now for a cheap pop, it's gonna happen. Like, and um, disgraceful is a really good way to put it. And I think just the the idea of the match, like I don't, I really, I I don't really care if Moolah and, and May are like okay and say they're okay to take bumps. I just think it's nothing short of irresponsible to have them in the ring taking bumps at their age. Like it's it's just ridiculous. It's not right. It can't be safe. It it's. I don't know how it could be acceptable. I know it's like it's meant to be some sort of light-hearted comedic relief, but I don't know how anyone could watch this and not be like in a in a terrified panic that something drastically awful was going to happen to one of these poor women. And like, I mean, they look like they're having the time of their life. Like, I'm sure, like, that like they wouldn't be doing it if they didn't want to. But I feel like it it the, it shouldn't be left to them to make the choice. Like, it, it shouldn't be on the table. Like, so Chris, I just looked this up. The Fabulous Moolah, my PWI Almanac, thanks for that. The, the the Fabulous Moolah is 13 years older than Bruno San Martino. Could you imagine if Bruno San Martino <laughs> was the men's champion right now? Oh, God. So uh, how, how old is the Fabulous Moolah? So her birthday is 1923, and I'm terrible at math. Her birthday is 1923, and so, and Bruno Bruno is 1935. So she was a teenager during the Second World War. Yes, she might have served. Crikey! In more ways than one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so just. I'm sorry, that was right there. It was right there. <laughs> I but, just, I think it's just irresponsible and like it is it is bordering on just the obscene like so having, for you the mere fact of the of the match being booked is enough for you I, 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 I mean you can book it in a way that like if you do enough smoke and mirrors and and like neither of them are going to really take any bumps that of any consequence but like they did like they weren't like I mean, they're not like we're not talking about like the kind of stuff we see in the ladder match later on. But I mean, there's still bumps that I didn't feel comfortable watching. And like, and this is meant to be this like lighthearted sort of comedy, just comedy cheap pop. But for me, I didn't, I di- it didn't really work like that for me because I was just like flabbergasted that. It was it was happening, and Vince had let them in a ring in 1999. So, so Chris, I just read in the Observer that Lou says, who's only seven years older than Mula, is going to be in the Rumble and win it and challenge for the title at Mania. Ah, so at least we've got consistency. Yeah, Lou says 
1999. <laughs> it's not that far off. That's what's ridiculous about it. Yes. So, so now there is consistency. Uh, I just I I just hate stuff like this in principle that it's it's just unnecessarily and and dangerous like the the potential negative far outweighs any possible positive you get by having this on your show and I mean nothing went drastically wrong I can't imagine the PR disaster if God forbid anything did go wrong yeah and obviously like thank God that nothing did go wrong but i don't know why you take that risk when the the benefit of having it on your show where everything goes to plan is so minuscule that is actually you still end up with as eric rightly says one of the worst matches of the year like a contender for that slot is 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 probably the best case scenario for how this could have gone uh yeah i just, I just <laughs> the contender nevertheless Moving on and seeing if we can sort of buck the trend of two horrible matches back to back. We have the New Age Outlaws taking on the Hollies. Uh, these two teams have been feuding for a few weeks and uh, the Hollies had cost the Outlaws the tag titles uh, earlier in the week on SmackDown, which is a bit stupid, really, because they would have been in line for a title shot on the show had they not done that, I imagine. But they did. So uh, we have a brawl to start and... Uh, the New Age Outlaws are firmly in control, double-teaming Crash, and uh, Road Dog hits his uh, crazy legs knee drop. He uh, gets tossed over the top by Crash uh, and uh, before being back in the ring and reverting into a face-in-peril roll as Bob works him over. Uh, we get a long, delayed suplex from Bob, which gets two, and the Hollies utilise some decent old-school heel tactics uh, to control the match, and this includes sort of like rope-assisted chin locks and just all the old-school heel tricks and to keep control of Road Dog and keep control of the match. Bob goes to the top, gets crotched, and takes a superplex before Billy gets the hot tag. Billy cleans house with press slams before hitting a jackhammer, but the ref is distracted, so Bob throws a chair in the ring. Billy Gunn hits a famous saw on Crash onto the chair, but the ref sees it and DQs the New Age Outlaws at the 10-minute mark. Eric, uh, over to you. What did you make of the Outlaws-Hollies match? In the context of this show, this was great. This was exactly what this show needed, was an average to above average match that was decently well wrestled and told the story and had faces and heels who were all capable of performing their roles and a finish that furthered the storyline, even though DQs on a pay-per-view aren't the best. Uh, but anyway, yeah, I thought this was good. I think the Hollies are kind of settling into their role as an underneath tag team and who can kind of feud with anybody. I'm glad to see the outlaws are back together. I think that's the only logical use of any of, of either of those guys uh, pulling them apart, only damaged both them individually and the team. Um, so, having them back together uh, to kind of oversee what's turning into a pretty decent little tag team division. God, we haven't said that in a long time for the WWF, if, if ever really in the run of this podcast. Um, yeah, I think it's good. And I think if this match had opened the show, even if we'd had the same matches, but this one opened, then maybe you have the women's match and the Midian Viscera uh, uh, Godfather match in there in a different order the show comes off better because this was the type of match that the crowd wanted to see. Devinda, what did you make of it? Um, 
I would like to say that the uh, tag title switch uh, made no sense to me. Um, the fact that uh, Rock and Stock Connection are champs again are, you know, that may be a um, topic of another converse- conversation. What I was trying to get to, that's the outlaws. They've been established for so long. They are pro- probably the greatest tag team of this decade. That being said, I see really good things uh, for the future of the Hollies because they stayed there with them and they were they kept up with them and they cut the ring in half with Road Dog and they played awesome heels and I really really like Crash Holly. Um, something so small as a headlock, just his body movement and his body language showed that he he's a great technician, maybe underrated technician because of the characters and what uh, you know that has to entail with that but um i really liked this match it was great um the hollies the only thing they messed up was lining themselves up for a tag title shot because i see tag titles in their future uh i really like the super heavyweight gimmick and stuff and i like i said i like crash holly and this um this match was great i think uh all men uh put up really good performances yeah i thought this was a, a pretty standard sort of wwf uh, pay-per-view uh, tag match here really and uh, it didn't have a finish but it was a be- it was the best match of the night so, so far by a country mile um, yeah which says uh, probably a lot more about the, the first two matches than it does this one which was reasonably routine but it was still a breath of fresh air at this stage of the game and I mean listeners who remember sort of my nomination for the most unbearably shit aspect of wrestling which was the wwf tag team division in 1998 i mean it is night and day um compared to now and i think the outlaws as i think it was you eric that said like the having them together as a team is so much better than either guy could be by themselves um and whenever they are a team, the crowd are always into them. They're always into their matches. And I think when you've got a tag division that consists of them as sort of like the more long-term established team, um, and then you've got like the Hollies, and as you see, we've got the New Brood, the Hardys, like uh, Edge and Christian. You've got the Dudleys on the roster now. You've got Acolytes. Acolytes. Like, that's a really, really good mix of six teams. And you've got a lot of potential there with pretty much all six of those teams. And I think you could put any one of the five that aren't the outlaws in there with the outlaws. And the crowd are always going to be into it because the crowd are into the outlaws. Like, and having them there just makes so much sense. So generally, this was a thumbs up. And I think maybe how positive I felt about it, it was just a sense of relief that I didn't have to put up with more Midian or seeing Moolah or, oh, well, it wasn't a Bruno Sammartino aged character in there. Um, so, you know, to your, to your point about match order, if this was opening the show, I think people may have liked it less than they do now. I think because of the match order, like this was such a relief. It was such a God, thank God we got some good wrestling. Um, like you said, it was an ordinary match routine. But because of the match order, I think it's better than what it was, if that makes any sense. And oh, um, yeah. last year, it was pretty much outlaws against everybody or anybody against the outlaws. 
now, you know, the tag team division is looking really, really good for the future. So we move on and make, uh, hopefully we can make it two in a row of uh, enjoyable matches as we have an intercontinental title match with Jeff Jarrett defending against China. Uh, before we get into the match, I'll just go over a sort of quick summary of what happened with uh, Jeff Jarrett uh, leaving the, the WWF this month. So his contract expired on the 16th of October, which was uh, one day before this show, but he, he agreed to come back in for one last match so he could drop the intercontinental title so sorry a little bit of a spoiler there as to the result um the wwf publicly praised him and they uh blamed the uh departure due to contract disputes with uh jim ross um it was said <laughs> uh it was said that uh like uh Jarrett was sort of on the fence about re-signing for some time, but I think I mentioned it earlier when we were talking about Russo. Jarrett and Russo are particularly close uh, behind the scenes, and that was kind of the nail in the coffin of his WWF career, as it were, in the sense that Russo was really keen to have him come over to WCW with him and have sort of like locker room alliance and have someone on his side in the WCW locker room and uh, sort of promise Jarrett this big push and whatnot in WCW. So uh, as soon as Russo was over to WCW, then it was pretty clear that Jarrett would be following. Do you think, uh, do, do you think that Vince bonus is JR every time he buries him publicly? He must. <laughs> he has to. Yeah. Poor JR. I'm sure he had <laughs> yeah. absolutely nothing to do with this, but uh, uh, yeah, I, I think it the idea was that, um, publicly both Jarrett and the company would would own, like would speak positively of each other and JR was very much the scapegoat for the breakdown of a relationship. Uh, it's, um, it's unbelievable. <laughs> so uh, as Eric mentioned earlier in the uh, rundown of the results, this is a good housekeeping match, which basically means it's no DQ, but only certain weapons are allowed. So, namely, these are household items and household utensils. So, uh, we're underway. And my first note on that household items and utensils is China hits Jarrett with a toilet lid. So, that sets the tone uh, for the match. So, uh, China follows by rubbing a banana and whipped cream in his face. And I will give Jarrett this. He definitely was willing to be humiliated on his way out. China misses with an elbow drop and puts herself through a table before Jarrett nearly gets a pin on top of some salami, which is not a euphemism. Jarrett nails her with a fish before he tries to toss flour in her face, but it backfires. Jarrett clips China from behind and applies a figure four, but China makes the ropes, which should be meaningless considering there are no rules, but Teddy Long breaks the hold. There also Jarrett aren't ropes in, an, in a household, in an average household. No, they're definitely not. Uh, Jarrett then grabs some tongs but China goes low and then she proceeds to use the tongs low on Jarrett Jarrett then literally gets pie faced before countering a pedigree uh, sending her right into Teddy Long Uh, Kitty slides the belt in to Jarrett who then nails China in the face with the belt picking up the win after 8 minutes but wait in one of the most sort of bizarre and obscene just referee decisions <laughs> this year the referee rules that Jarrett 
can't win with the belt shot because it's not a household item. Jarrett's livid. He puts Teddy in a figure four. In a figure four. Oh, excuse me. In a figure four. But China smashes a guitar over Jarrett and gets the pin uh, under just ten minutes. Um, I'm not sure really how the guitar is more of a household item than a than a belt, or why the referee decided to count the pin in the first place had he known. Uh, that the belt was an illegal pin um, Eric so what did you make of this match and please can you shed any light on those two questions for me I thought the match was entertaining as hell and I I, I was steadfastly against being entertained by this match um, and I could not help myself um, so to your questions uh <clears throat> Well, I think one might be able to make the argument that, you know, what does one define as a household item? Does that mean that it's one (laughs) that one uses to perform tasks within the house? Or is it one that would be reasonably found within a household? And so I think if we look at it that way, there's only one WWF Intercontinental Championship. and, And that's only ever going to be found in one person's house at a time. But I'm thinking there's probably millions of Americans that have guitars in their house. And so if the idea was you can only, you know, hit people with items that are functionally used to repair and clean the house, then, then no. But if the if the rule was reasonably found in an average American household, then I say, yeah, it's good. So if, if, <laughs> if we're saying that we're ruling out the the Intercontinental title on the grounds that it's the Intercontinental Championship rather than just labelling it as a as a belt. Why did the referee count the pin? The <laughs> if, referee, he knew, if he knew that referee, it wasn't valid. Did he see it? If he didn't I, thought see that was, it. I thought that was the gimmick. I thought that's why they did the corner shot so that Jarrett could grab the belt knowing it's not a household item. And that's a statement against interest right there. Uh, knowing. <laughs> knowing. So, that the referee was down so that he could then use the Intercontinental Championship, admitting implicitly by his own actions that it's not a household item. So is he just the dumbest heel of all time? Like he could have used any weapon. Like we could we could have gone with a chair. Like a chair exists in most households, if not all households, more than a guitar. So if he'd have done it with a chair. Jarrett would have walked out the company with the Intercontinental title. But Look, I, I'm not here to speculate. I'm just here to comment <laughs> on the facts as they occurred in, in this matter. I do, I do want to say one other thing, and that was right at the beginning I, in my notes. Uh, hits Jarrett with a toilet lid, symbolize return to WCW. Um, <laughs> no, I think, I, I, I think it's just it's a bullshit match with a bullshit finish, but it was entertaining. And sometimes you just have to swallow that as a wrestling fan. That's it. Uh, Devinda, what did you make of it all? I mean, how do I follow that? The eloquence of that explanation of having the, the guitar in the house. You see, I thought the guitar would be a household item because the songs that come from it can hold the house together. You know, um, I thought, um, Jeff Jarrett getting hit by the toilet lid to start off the match signified a shitty match, but mm-hmm. pun intended. But um, I also was entertained. I, I, I didn't, I didn't know what the hell I was watching, but it was just funny. Jared, uh, I, I got to give the guy credit. The guy can sell a pie to the face. 
um i, I yeah just just like uh, what's been said it was just an entertaining match and um that's about it. that's about it for me i mean i was laughing the whole the whole way through but um kudos to everybody i guess it was entertaining that's that's all that's all that matters i guess i'm pretty yeah. sure this is what vince mcmahon thinks feminism is <laughs> uh, yeah i mean i agree with both of you in the sense that i did have my my questions and my reservations just as to the logic behind it but ultimately i had a fun time watching this match and it was probably the most fun well it was almost certainly the most fun i'd had up until this point and when i sat down on my sunday evening to watch this pay-per-view and i had, had paid my money um I was looking to be entertained and this match entertained me. It was fun. It was silly. And I mean, I don't know what it is that makes it more fun than your just average sort of hardcore weapons, garbage trash match. But this was just entirely amusing. Whereas I'm completely burnt out on that type of hardcore match. And this was just silly rather than anything else. And it was, it was a massive positive to the card and my enjoyment of the show. With that, we move on to a clash between uh, the Rock and the British Bulldog. Um, so we're underway, and uh, Rocky immediately clears Bulldog out of the ring and tosses him into the steps. Uh, they brawl around ringside, and Bulldog drops in on the announce table to take over. Uh, Bulldog tries to take a Harley race style bump into the corner, but lands right on his head, which didn't look very nice. Mm. He uh, stays in control, though, and uh, hits a vertical suplex before locking on a chin lock. Rock fights out of it and goes for a Samoan drop, but um, it looks like I think Bulldog thinks he's maybe taking a backdrop here, and it, it looks quite messy again. It is quite an unpleasant spot. Bulldog goes low and ties Rock in the ropes, but Rock's, Rock's, Rocky escapes before avoiding a charge, and Bulldog crotches himself. Rock hits a DDT, but only gets two. Bulldog comes back with a power slam, but Rock gets to the ropes for the pin, breaks the pin. Uh, Rock slips out of another and hits the rock bottom before following up with the people's elbow, and we're out with the Rock winning at just six minutes. Davinda, come to you first. What do you make of this match? I expected a longer match. I expected some type of uh, dominance from Bulldog. Maybe uh, some suspension of like hey maybe he'll win maybe they'll give him that win um but the rock is on his way up all the way up to the top i don't think the guy's done like i feel like there are more heights that the rock is going to go to and this win um i feel this win is really positive in rock's career uh like we talked about earlier about bulldog coming in and people thinking hey maybe it's his time or maybe not he's um he's gonna be put in over guys and his name is good enough to be that notch under your belt like yeah i beat the bulldog um he has that presence and uh he has that dominance and he has uh the history behind them and um fan support that the rocks win over him would be um something good for the rock i just expected a longer match i was i was kind of disappointed but because i'm such a bulldog fan but the rock is a rock and you know Vince is uh, Vince loves that guy, so he's gonna get the win and he's gonna look dominant doing it. Eric, over to you. I don't know. After thinking about this match again in the last five or ten minutes, I kind of regret my comments at the outset of the show where I thought that maybe Bulldog could be a upper 
part of the card get over guy thinking about this match again i ugh, i don't know um he looked so limited i mean it was only three years ago and he was having absolute classics with sean i mean they had the the match at king of the ring and the match at uh uh, uh beware of dog and I feel like Sean and Bulldog have been wrestling in perpetuity for like three years or they did between like 94 and 96. And that was only three years ago. And it's a completely different guy. He looks, he's a different shape. His body's completely changed. He's slower. He's flat footed and he just couldn't really hang with the rock. And Devinder was right. There wasn't really even a, a good heat spot in this match they kind of just had a match and the rock went over i don't know if they went home early or if somebody tweaked a knee nothing like that was reported but it just seemed like this was half of a match that should have been planned i mean these these two guys kind of represent what happens sometimes where it's just you know wrong place wrong time 96 bulldog against rock now oh that's that's an absolute banger but now i just don't think that the bulldog has it i think he has a place on the card Maybe, but maybe he's a heavy in a three-man group or he's part of a tag team with a guy who can work. Um, but, yeah, I was really disappointed with this, and I think the memory of the Bulldog did not serve up to uh, what we saw uh, on screen. I was pretty disappointed, although I think The Rock tried to get a good match out of him. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, I don't think you can fault effort even from Bulldog. Like, I no. think they, they both they both tried and they didn't have a, a great deal of time. And it did definitely feel like they're sort of missing half a match. And it was like, well, we've only got six minutes. We'll just cut out that heat segment and just we'll just do a match. And then at the end, you'll win. Like, And they were busy for six minutes, and they got a lot done in six minutes. And just some of it just was unpleasant to watch. And I think when, when you have such fond memories of a wrestler, and then you see sort of a version of themselves that just cannot like it's just not on a level so it breaks your heart removed. yeah it's so difficult to watch and i think when you see someone in so sort of have fallen so drastically from your fond memories of a of a wrestler it's it it really isn't something that i want to see there's like i I don't know how often I want to see Bulldog having six-minute matches again if, if they're going to no. be like this because you have too much respect for someone. to You don't want them to not tarnish their legacy. He's, he's got too much of a legacy that, I mean, someone having a few uh, less-than-great matches at the end of their career is not going to ruin a le- legacy. But um, you don't want your memories of someone, which are so fond, to become have to compete with memories of someone at this stage of their career. And I do think like maybe as you suggest, Erica, if he was a, a some a, in a tag team with a guy that could work and carry the workload for him, maybe that's a good spot for the Bulldog. But it, it just made me a bit sad watching this match. It, it was disappointing. And I, I just felt, I felt sorry for him. Really. I did feel sorry for him. You yeah, know, this- um, just just like Bulldog, you got to think about Fabulous Moolah's fans. Um, but not everybody gets to live to be 117 like she is right now. But <laughs> you can imagine that the same thing would happen with Moolah's fans. Like, I, I don't know what kind of matches she was putting up back then. But, you know, to your point, um, listening to your guys' points, it makes me think that they cut the match in half because of Bulldog's legacy. 
I think if the match went any longer, it might have uh, you would have been able to see a lot more of his limited abilities. And they wanted to keep him at least protected, uh, his character and his wrestling ability uh, or lack thereof, you know. And I think they just cut it down to be like, you know what, let's just make sure that you put up what you can do and we don't stretch you far enough to for people to think like, oh, then he's done, you know. It's so wild to think, like, look back to 97 and the three best fed matches that year were probably in no particular order. Owen Bulldog in March and then Austin uh, Hart at Mania and then the, the uh, uh, Hell in a Cell, Austin and, or uh, Undertaker and Sean. Sean and, yeah. and, and, and Sean's effectively retired and Bulldog is, you know, functionally retired and Brett hasn't had a good match in forever. And it's just it's crazy how fickle this is Pretty much all the guys who were in the best matches two years ago are either struggling to find themselves or have just outright retired. I, I mean, sometimes because we only see them once a week or we see them once a month, the pay-per-views are once a month. I mean, we forget that, you know, the, the road work that they do do, you know, those hours logged and uh, excuse me, the miles logged and the hours that they do and the matches that they're having every other night. You know, it, it does take a toll. I guess two years can seem like a lifetime for somebody in that profession. So we move on to the final of the uh, Terry Invitational Tournament, uh, the culmination of the best of five series between uh, Edge and Christian and the New Brood to determine who would uh, earn the managerial services of Terry Runnels. And uh, here for our final match, we've got a ladder match between the two teams. So apologies in advance, because this this review is just sort of me desperately scrambling to take notes because there was too much going on um so we're underway uh edge and christian uh whip each other into the hardies before matt and jeff double team edge uh they call for gangrel to bring a ladder to the ring but the referee stops that cuts it in its tracks and sends gangrel to the back early matt goes out uh, to get a ladder but christian springboards out onto him edge goes up but matt pushes the ladder over uh christian pins jeff to the corner with a ladder and hits a drop kick Edge springboards off Christian, but splashes onto a ladder. Christian hits Jeff with a reverse DDT off the ladder before Matt goes up top and gets powerbombed by Edge. Edge goes up a ladder, but Jeff rushes up the turnbuckle and drop kicks Edge off. Uh, Matt slams Edge onto a ladder and Jeff hits a splash onto him. The Hardys clothesline Christian with a ladder before Matt moonsaults onto the ladder while Christian's laying underneath. Jeff goes up top again but Edge returns with another ladder and locks Jeff off with it. Edge then tries his luck, but Matt returns the favour by ramming him with a ladder. Edge and Christian uh, then... Sorry, I seem to have lost my notes. Uh, Edge and Christian uh, sandwich Jeff with a ladder before taking Matt out with a flapjack into the ladder set up in the corner. Christian and Jeff then battle on one of the ladders before Christian hits a hip toss to Jeff off the ladder. Edge and Christian try to superplex Jeff onto a ladder before Matt makes the save and uh, battles with Christian. Jeff takes the opportunity to use the ladder as a seesaw and whacks both men in the face. Uh, Two ladders are set up and all four men go up. Christian and Jeff tip over and slingshot themselves off the top rope. Edge and Matt tilt the other way and also fall off. They set the ladders up again before Edge smashes Matt off their ladder and Matt bounces off the ropes and knocks over Christian and Jeff's ladder. 
As the ladder falls, Jeff steps across onto Edge's ladder, knocks him off and grabs the $100,000 prize, picking up the win for the new brood. Matt and Jeff win the series and they've earned the services of Terry Runnels. Uh, Eric, what did you make of this match? Ooh, that was something. Um, this this thing just didn't stop. Um, yeah, uh, lots of spots, uh, lots of high risk, high energy stuff. A lot of career shortening bumps. I hope this doesn't become the standard for these guys. Like bust us out once or twice a year, but then keep it in the ring or you're going to go the way of the guys we were just talking about. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's a standalone match. This thing was an absolute train wreck in the best possible way. These four guys worked their ass off and I think they've got four stars here, at least in a tag division that's badly needed it. You know, all the hoopla with Terry and all the, gimmicks they've tried to give matt and jeff hardy with uh gangrel and now terry and whoever else they've been through i just you know let these guys let these guys wrestle and and get over like that the crowd was absolutely into this and all four of these guys are destined for for good stuff if they can stay healthy and not just do this every month um but yeah go out of your way to watch this match if you haven't seen it yet really really entertaining stuff psychology be damned Vin, what did you make of it? <coughs> Excuse me. Um, besides Jerry Lawler calling the Terry Invi- Invitational Tournament the tit every week, this was the highlight for me. Um, every time these guys were on TV during this tournament, and uh, I got excited when when I was like, "Man, it's gonna be a ladder match." And th- seeing the past ladder matches, there were some crazy spots, but this just this knocked it out the park. These guys were, I mean, that 450 that Jeff missed and just messed his knees and ankles up. And you got to think of the, the moonsault that you mentioned that Matt Hardy did using his body to land on the ladder. You know, it would have been bad enough if the guy was on the ladder, then he hit him, but he hit the moonsault on the ladder and with um, his opponent under him. This this was nonstop. Like you said, it was a, the perfect uh, way to describe it. it was a train wreck. You're, I was like, I thought that they couldn't top the last spot that they just and they they kept doing it. Every spot they did that they did top the last one. And um you got to think uh where this puts Gangrel. I don't know if Terry's going to go goth cuz that would be awesome. Or uh, I I don't know if she's going to be the only manager. Um I guess this puts the, the the Hardys in line for a tag title shot in the future. Um these are just great performances. The standing ovation was more than well deserved. Um, kudos to all the guys. I love this match. Loved it. I feel like we're going to be talking about this match for a long time. Yeah. Can we get, can we get goth Terry? <laughs> yeah, I would love that. That uh, Jesus. I don't even know if I can say any of this stuff out loud. I'm just going to be quiet. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this match was just crazy, wild spectacle. Um, I, I loved it. It was fantastic. It, it was sort of frantic in its pacing, but one thing I thought was that it, it never felt contrived. It was so obviously spot heavy, and it, it was basically just spot to spot to spot to spot. But I think sometimes in a match, a very spot heavy match, there is a tendency for things to feel a little too pre-planned and a little too contrived. Mm-hmm. But this was at such a pace that it just felt like you were still sort of recovering 
in awe almost of the last thing they were doing and they were already moving on to the next thing which in itself i guess does sound a little contrived but in the moment watching it like live it 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 didn't feel that way it just felt frantic and i think when something feels frantic it might necessarily you you lose a bit of that sort of like scripted feeling um that you you could often get with a like a spot heavy match um this was one of the best matches um i've seen in the wwf this year comfortably and it will definitely be on my shortlist uh come the end of the year um for nominating it for that distinction of uh, match of the year because it was it was fantastic and the level of energy and i think they are just four stars in this tag division and when you think about the teams you could throw in there with them um it's fantastic and yeah a year on from me taking the <coughs> wwf tag division uh down and in our end of year show uh, i mean i i couldn't be more thrilled with the turnaround of the division this year uh because uh it's been it's been something to behold before we get to our next match um we have the rock who's back out uh he's back out and he uh says that he'll be challenging whoever emerges with the wwf title tonight uh as he makes his way back uh triple h jumps him in the aisle and destroys him with a sledgehammer so we have triple h laying out the rock um before we move on to the last couple of matches on the show that will play into the main event later. So we move on to Mankind taking on Val Venus. Uh, Val jumps Mick to kick things off. Mankind fights back, hits a running knee in the corner and drops a leg south of the border. He reaches down into Val's tights and pulls out Mr. Rocco before Val goes low and they take it outside. Val suplexes Mick onto an open chair in a sick spot uh, before Val retrieves Mr. Rocco. Mankind grabs a mandible claw, but Val shoves the back of his head into the post. Back in the ring, Val hits a Russian leg sweep onto a chair, which, I mean, should be a disqualification considering the outlaws were pretty much disqualified for the exact same thing earlier in the evening. Val uh, slams the back of Mick's head into the mat and hits him with a lariat. Val is actually using some good psychology here, I thought, uh, and uh, I thought the work between two me- the two men was pretty decent. He drops a knee to the back of Mankind's head and hits a clothesline bulldog sequence. Mankind avoids the uh, money shot before putting on Mr. Socko, but Val also puts on Mr. Rocco. It winds up being a battle of Mankind's mandible claw versus Val's testicular claw, and Val wins that, falls on top, to pick up a surprising win. Uh, Davinda, what did you make of this match and uh, what did you make of the fact Val Venus beating Mankind? Um, I'm not sure if they're trying to elevate Val Venus. I feel like the guy's a great wrestler um, with a character that may outweigh his wrestling ability. Um, the crowd was stunned after the pin, uh, especially after pinning him with his hand on his crotch. Um, it was kind of weird for me. But um, I felt like this was a demotion for McFoley, even if it wasn't intended that way. Uh, McFoley just a few months ago was the champ, even if for a day. But he was challenging for the title, won it. Uh, even though he he lost it the next day, he won the title. He was a champion. 
and he was in the main event of SummerSlam, one of the biggest pay-per-views of the year. Um, this felt like uh, they're not sure what to do with Mankind right now. Um, I, I don't know if they're trying to elevate Val Venus. I like the guy, I do, but I feel like he's a mid-carder at best, intercontinental championship type of guy. But to be in there with these uh, main event guys, I don't see it. I'm sure he can stay there with mm-hmm. them. I'm sure mm-hmm. he can, you know, keep up and give a good match as he did. This was a good match, wrestling wise. I just don't see Venus, uh, Val Venus being in there with somebody like Mick Foley. Eric, what did you make of it? Yeah, this this match was fine. Nothing wrong with it. I think Val's okay, and uh, Mick is uh, mankind is one of the guys we come in every month and we say, well, no matter what happens, his match will be good, and it was. Uh, for the most part, but yeah, the finish is just so baffling. I mean, it's like they've spent three and a half years getting the mandible claw over as this devastating finisher, and then it's all of a sudden countered by a, a ball grab, and that's more power. It just it's it's a baffling finish. Val Venus did not need the win over Mankind. I don't think it does anything for him because of the way he won. I don't think, you know, beating Mankind because he's just kind of Teflon in terms of wins and losses does anybody any good. But if if Mankind can stay strong, that only helps him. And I don't know. Tough to explain. Tough to reason with it. I don't see Val Venus going much higher than he's gone. He's not going to be world champion because they're not going to, you know, put a the title on a on an actual porn star, just the implicit porn star like Shawn Michaels. I just don't get it. I don't get the end. The match was fine. It just should have gone the other way. Yeah, I, I was really surprised with the finish. And I, it, even if they do have plans to try and elevate Val, I, I, like I'm not sure where to where. Like we know yeah. where they're going, like with Survivor Series in mind and sort of the fallout of the main event and stuff. So like what, what are you planning on doing with Val that means that he should go over Mankind here in this fashion? Because Mankind should always be near the top of the card because, you, you, like you say, you know you, what you're going to get with him and you know he's going to deliver a good match almost perfectly consistently. And I'm just not sure that Val Venus as a character really warrants higher positioning on the card than he's been placed in. Like, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, the match, was which absolutely- is why, why I'm still confused about the tag title win. like mankind, like you said, deserves to be on the top of the card. The only other guys that were near that top of the card is rock and bulldog. And I mean, who, who else do you put mankind with? But the, the choice of Valvinus was strange to me. Yeah. I don't see the upside. Um, I don't see what Val will gain from this win, and I don't think it's done like damage to mankind really, because it's it's mankind. I feel like you could just beat him and beat him and beat him, and he's always going to be a perennial sort of contender, and you could always have him in the main event. But it's just an odd choice of guy to beat him at this time, and I don't see the logic in it, and I don't see the sort of destination. I don't know where this is going, and I'm not really sure that I care to. Um, not that I have anything against Val Venus in particular, just that I think he very much has a ceiling, and that character very much has a ceiling, and he's kind of got to that level, 
and I don't know that I have a desire to see him exceed it. Next up, we move on to our four corners elimination match between X-Pac, Kane, Farouk and Bradshaw. Uh, we're underway and X-Pac watches on as Kane is uh, double teamed for a while before eventually tagging in against his partner. The Acolytes suck him in and deliver a massive beatdown on X-Pac. Uh, and the match then sort of reverts to feeling more like a tag match with X-Pac playing the face in peril as the Acolytes take turns to beat him down. X-Pac eventually fights back, hits a Desperation Tornado DDT uh, before Kane comes in and destroys everyone. Bradshaw is the first man to be eliminated after he falls victim to a chokeslam from Kane. X-Pac takes advantage of Kane being distracted to hit a leg lariat, which is enough to eliminate Kane. And the crowd really does not like X-Pac for that one. We end up with it down to Farouk and X-Pac. Uh, with Farouk uh, countering a Bronco Buster attempt into a Spine Buster, which is really nice. He goes for a shoulder block, but X-Pac counters, hits an X-Factor at the 10-minute mark, which is enough to pick up the win. X-Pac walks away, the winner of our four-quarters elimination match. Uh, Eric, what do you make of this match and sort of the Kane and X-Pac story, which really sort of develops later in the month? Yeah, I thought this. I thought the story they told here was good. I think, you know, Kane's kind of trying to be... This guy who's trying to embrace his friend X-Pac, and then all of a sudden they're having this match, and wham, he gets kicked in the face, and there's drama there. I also came out of it wanting to see like a five-minute match between X-Pac and Farouk, because uh, their exchange was pretty good, and Farouk's not the best worker. He's kind of stiff, but like if he has somebody to run around him, um, almost like a Vader type thing. Uh, let's Give me that on Raw. Just you know, fill the time. But yeah, I, I, think, I think this is the perfect type of match to – to advance a, a, a new storyline that hopefully, you know, carries us through to either, uh, you know, to some sort of decent resolution. I don't know if I want to see Xbox and Kane, you know, separate anytime soon. I, I might like to see them kind of dip their nose into this uh, tag division that's that's coming up too. There's nothing wrong with having multiple tag team storylines uh, going on. So that's fine. I think this was a pretty good match. Um, no, nothing spectacular about the work rate except for Xbox and, yeah, I think it worked out well. Uh, better than better than I was anticipating. Devinda, your thoughts? Uh, I think uh, it worked well in advancing the storyline between X-Pac and Kane. Um, X-Pac, they just, they just have to be a little careful how he's been booked after he got after he um, eliminated Kane. Uh, it was just heavily booed, and I don't think they saw it as a I'm trying to win thing. They just saw it as hey, you're turning on your friend who's finally starting to trust you. Uh, Farouk and X-Pac was kind of cool at the end, though. The only little little thing for me was uh, when he hit the X-Factor on Farouk. Farouk landed, like, way too early. It kind of messed with my suspension of disbelief as far as the wind goes. But um, X-Pac can play the sympathetic face. He can turn on somebody. He, he can he – can, um, I like X-Pac, and I'm uh, waiting to see what happens between him and Kane. Acolytes played supporting characters, which is fine, um, I hope. Bigger things are in their future too, but uh, this did its job for Xbox and King. Yeah, I think it was a decent match in in sort of like this almost death sort of co-main spot really that I think it exceeded what I expected um, in terms of a match and storyline development, and I, I think overall it's just positive things to say about it really. Um, I think definitely got more out of it than I expected. Um, I liked the storyline development between X-Pac and Kane. 
And I thought Expert looked good here. And I did think as well the the action between him and Farouk at the end was good, as you've both said. And I particularly like that uh, counter into the Spine Buster. It was really cool. And, um, yeah, that would be a great match to see on Raw, as you said, Eric. And, uh, yeah, I think a, a decent way to keep the action going as we head into our main event. But just to maybe take things down a notch like the last two matches in between sort of you wouldn't want to put the ladder match too close to the main event and I think having Venus and X, uh, Venus and Mankind and then this match there was a, a good decent buffer where the action was good but we slowed the pace a little uh, ahead of the main event with that we get to our main event of the evening with Triple H defending his WWF Championship against Stone Cold Steve Austin in a no hold barred match. Uh, before we got started, Vince McMahon is out. He snatches Hunter's sledgehammer away from him, and Hunter takes him out. Austin runs in, hits a jumping clothesline from the barrier on Hunter, and we are underway. Uh, they brawl through the crowd. Austin hits a shot with a trash can as they uh, continue brawling through the arena, through the crowd, as they get engulfed in a sea of fans. Austin wipes... Uh, the floor all over with Triple H beating him with uh, pretty much everything that's not nailed down over by the entrance <laughs> ramp into the crowd uh, that we have the obligatory uh, crutch given by a fan, which Austin uses and back by the aisle, Austin uh, swings at the uh, boom camera, the mic uh, nails Triple H in the face with that, which was pretty cool, quite innovative. Uh, the brawl finds its way to ringside eventually where Austin uh, crotches Helmsley on the barrier. Uh, Hunter gets some heat uh, back in the match, backdropping Austin uh, to block a pile driver attempt. Austin reverses a pedigree into a catapult and sends Hunter right in the ref. Uh, eventually, they get into the ring and Triple H takes a stunner, but there's no ref as he'd been previously laid out. Austin revives the ref, but uh, he ends up just getting bumped again shortly after before uh, Hunter hits a pedigree. But, of course, there's still no ref. Oh, Hebner finally replaces the referee who's down, but this Hunter only gets two. Uh, when the both men are back up, they brawl on the outside again around the announce table and Hunter gets cut open. Hunter gets whipped into the steps before Triple H's legs uh, gets his legs under him and uh, suplexes Austin on the floor. We're 14 minutes in and uh, it seems like Hunter's really only just starting to mount a consistent offence in the match, sort of as this as a heat segment. It's been quite back and forth up until now. Hunter's knee drop misses, uh, but he comes back and nails Austin with a clothesline anyway. Hunter zeroes in on Austin's bad knee uh, that he went uh, after back in the summer. Austin clubs his way out of a knee bar, uh, but takes a fake buster for two. Hunter goes uh, up top, but gets hit with a superplex, which also gets two. Austin gets hold of a chair, and he goes off on Triple H, like Hunter did to him at SummerSlam, to the knee. Uh, but he pauses for a brief moment, and that hesitation uh, in between chair shots is enough to give Hunter an advantage. So Hunter clips his knee. The Rock returns uh, back out for the third time of the night and he's out with a sledgehammer looking for a little revenge on Triple H. Helsley out of desperation loads forward and struck Austin with a low blow and wait a minute what the heck is that? It's The Rock! What? The Rock band is up 
to hit Hunter with the hammer, but Hunter ducks and The Rock accidentally hits Austin. A pedigree then takes out Rock and Hunter turns and covers Austin for the win, retaining his WWF title. Davinda, what did you make of our main event? I, I, I loved it. If it wasn't the build, uh, even the promo package before the match, um, Triple H's entrance, the guy looks good with the belt. And um, I was thinking as you were, you know, going over the match, this is something that Triple H is familiar with. He's had a series, series of great matches with um, Rock and, you know, Owen Hart. And um, I just think now that he's in the main event scene, he's got a little, little more uh, confidence in himself. And he carries himself like a champion and a good heel champion, too. And a heel champion that doesn't mat- doesn't mind uh, putting people over, even the ref. When he got into that little scuffle with Earl Hebner, he... He sold the pushes as if Hebner really pushed him back. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. But uh, I'm really liking Triple H as a heel champion. The Rock interference um, does something for the future. Hopefully, like something between all three, which is something that would be like monumental, uh, even for Triple H, that he's going to be put in the same category as those guys. Um I'm looking forward to seeing what a uh, you know Triple H heel champion can do, and um, I'm excited about it. I love the match though. Really, really, really like the match. Eric, over to you. Uh, I want to agree, but I the, the match was good. Um, but I, I can, do all of Austin's matches just seem about the same these days? That's just that's just me. Lots of crowd brawling, lots of this and that back and forth, outside interference, ref spots. I mean, I, I get why they're doing it. The guy is completely banged up. He's got the bad neck. His knee may or may not be shot. I, I understand it, but, like, he's had the same match with with Vince and and Foley and Undertaker and now Triple H. And I, I get it. Ric Flair wrestled the same style of match, too. I just wonder if this is growing a bit stale for anybody else. But the match was fine. It was good. Um, I, it took me back. The finish took me back to what I said earlier, which is it's just such an odd spot for the WWF to book heat. Um, this this finish probably would not have happened at any time before the present present day. I mean, I know Austin's lost the belt here and there, the double pin with Undertaker and Kane and the middle finger, but this was a, a, a relatively decisive win for Triple H, considering that he did get a lot of offense in. The Rock helped, but it's not like Triple H just got his ass whipped and then won by a fluke. So this was a surprisingly good win for Triple H and a surprising outcome. And and for me, I would like to see it where maybe we're slowly building towards The Rock and Austin at WrestleMania again. I think that's the biggest match that they have. And maybe Triple H is the guy that one of those guys that gets over on like at the Rumble or something. I think we can chart a course there. And uh, but I don't know if I want to see you know, Triple H in this tippy top spot when you have The Rock banging around in secondary programs and 
Austin taking L's like this. I don't know, but it was a good match. Just uh, the finish put me off a little bit. And I think a lot of that is just conditioning from watching the WWF for all these years. The finish really surprised me. I have to say Um, a couple of months ago, obviously the SummerSlam main event, which was sort of changed reasonably last minute. It's certainly on from a TV perspective um, when uh, we were scheduled for Austin versus Hunter and Mankind got thrown in and uh, ended up winning the title before dropping it to Hunter on Raw the next night. And a large part of that was reportedly Austin had problems with sort of losing in a clean fashion to Triple H. And um, like you say, I mean, yeah, The Rock got a, a hammer shot in on Austin. But I mean, it's a no-holds-pars match. Austin had just gone nuts with a chair and I, I i this was a reasonably decisive victory for a heel over stone cold steve austin mm-hmm. and i just considering sort of like the politics behind what happened back in august i i was surprised at how decisive it was um i thought this match was a really fun brawl and i i, I know what you mean eric about how Austin main event matches are a pretty typecast at this stage and I mean they are mostly interchangeable I did feel that in places particularly when Triple H was in control it felt more methodical than certainly like matches had been with uh, Austin and Mankind last year or, or, or pretty much any anyone else and there was a bit of a, a more Triple H style of match in there um, than your typical Austin main event, but ultimately it was just a fun, fun no-holds-barred brawl that went all over the arena. Um, but, I mean, it was a war between both men in the sense that the way this match had been built and the story they'd told to get to this stage, I kind of expected this type of brawl. And if they'd have gone in there and had a wrestling match, no matter how good it would have been, I think the tone would have been off. And... The finish in itself, although it was it was weird, and you see on TV, I mean, the, the immediate night afterwards, it moves towards setting up a huge match at Survivor Series. Um, and I do wonder what will happen uh, moving forward, because, Eric, it's pretty clear, like, I agree with you, the, the biggest match this company can do, really, uh, is having Austin versus Rock for the title, at WrestleMania, like that, that's a match that absolutely has to happen. Um, and it has to happen at WrestleMania, you'd imagine. But I don't know, like, you certainly can't or wouldn't turn Austin Hill. And I don't know that you'd want to turn Rock Hill either at this stage. And I don't know how you get there, really. Um, I suppose it's, it's not unheard of that you do like a face v face type thing, or I mean, is Austin's shade of grey at times anyway, but. Yeah, I, I mean, that's the biggest match you can do. They're the two biggest stars in the company, and they should face each other at WrestleMania again, definitely, but this time for the WWF title in the main event. But it just seems to me that this stage of the game, I find it hard to imagine, with how TV has been for a couple of months now, if Triple H isn't in that main event scene at WrestleMania, I don't know where he fits in. And I, I think... I could see him holding on to the belt right up until Mania and eventually being defeated then. Um, but we'll have to see. So, 
So uh, with that, we get to a close of our review of No Mercy 1999. Um, Eric, I'll come to you first for your overall thoughts on this show and a score rating out of 10. Gosh, this show was quite the roller coaster, wasn't it? My goodness. Um, I, I struggle to think of a show that started more poorly. Um, and then a show that reached incredible heights with a, 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 the good housekeeping match, which I think outshined all reasonable expectations. And the latter match, which is just, uh, it's going to stick in history, is just an incredible match. And then just the last hour was thoroughly entertaining. I don't think we complained too much. Uh, and even the main event with the finish, a little bit not what I was hoping for, but certainly will advance the storyline somewhere. I, so... You know, sadly for this card, it did have that first hour, which brings it down. But I, I think I would comfortably give the show, hmm, I want to say seven, but I think I'm going to go six and a half, six and a half out of ten for this show, just balancing all the good with the bad. I, I think it's an above average show, but a, a card that has some of that stuff on it can't be, you know, can't be considered, you know, more than than good. Six and a half. Davinda, over to you. Overall thoughts and a score rating out of 10. Um, considering everything that started at the ha- in the beginning of the show, um, I uh, I want to I want to agree, but I'm going to give it a good solid seven. Um, the beginning of the show did bring it down for me, and um, to tell you the truth, my feelings on the Val Venus Mankind match uh, did the same. I feel like the good housekeeping match. The uh, ladder match, um, the main event, I feel like those were like the perfect ways to pull off these formulas, um, respectively. Because like we were talking about, it's a, it was a comedy match, um, the uh, good housekeeping match. It's a lot of silliness and silly entertainment, but there was a there is a fine line between that and just like okay, this is not funny. And um, I think um, the way they the way they the way they pulled off these performances uh, gives it a good solid seven for me. Um, I'm just I'm just excited for the future. This is one of the, the one of the shows that does get me excited for the future um, after we're done with it, after the tag title or excuse me, after the tag team ladder match and the main event, uh, multiple storylines going on. And um, it'll be a seven for me, guys. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> The first third of this show was was terrible. Um, well, no, maybe not the first third, but certainly the two opening matches um, were were really bad in terms of enjoyment of the show, value for money, investment of time, all of that. Um, but after that, there was definitely just consistently entertaining stuff and a variety of entertainment as well. Like you had the the comedy of the housekeeping, the good housekeeping match, like the, it, which was just silly, but tons of fun. Um, crazy spot fest in the ladder match, which was one of the best matches I've seen on WWF pay-per-view all year. And then uh, archetype sort of WWF main event brawl, um, which was very, very good in the main event. And I think considering, uh, the, the first couple of matches have to knock a good couple of points off your overall score. I think a seven for me is where I'll where I will settle as well. I think that's a a fair score for this pay per view, which 
on the whole i enjoyed and if you want to go seek out the show definitely skip the first few matches and it'll probably feel like an eight or nine out of ten show if you do that um but yeah definitely a thumbs up page The Raw after No Mercy kicked off with a segment we'll talk about more on the main show, leading to Vince booking the main event of Survivor Series as Triple H defending the title against The Rock and Stone Cold Steve Austin. Kane and X-Pac defeated the Dudley Boys following the chokeslam on Bubba. Backstage, the Acolytes were shown beating Mr. Hughes in a game of poker. Hughes continued to lose hand after hand until he actually lost Howard Finkel to Farouk. The Hollies were then shown petitioning Vince for a title shot against The Rock and Sock Connection, and it was granted for later. Colvin interviewed the fabulous Moolah, who was challenged to a women's championship match by Mae Young. Viscera defeated Godfather after million distraction. Mick Foley gave him a copy of Have a Nice Day backstage, and Mick also tried to return Mr. Rocco back to The Rock, but the offer was refused due to his horrendous condition. China issued an open challenge for her IC belt, and Jericho accepted. He called China's win an embarrassment and proved the Federation is stuck in a downward spiral. He ran her down until she attacked him with the belt. Bulldog v Test ended after DQ, with the Mean Street Posse running into the ring to interfere. Afterwards, the Bulldog assaulted Test with a garbage can. Al Snow was shown backstage, finding The Rock's copy of Mick Foley's book sitting in a trash can. When Snow told Mick about the discarded tome, Foley looked visibly hurt. Val defeated Al with the money shot. Mick then confronted The Rock backstage, declaring that after tonight, the Rock and Sock connection was done. Hardcore title was meant to be on the line, but before the Big Show was able to come out for the match, he was told his father had died. This news meant the match was awarded to the boss man via forfeits. The Outlaws then faced off against the Acolytes, seconded by Howard Finkel. He tried to assist the Acolytes by bringing a chair into the ring, but the Outlaws used the weapon instead, leading to the win. The Brood came to the ring for an interview. Matt made it clear they were no longer part of the Brood, and he and his brother Jeff wanted to be known by their real names. Edge and Christian came to the ring to shake the Hardys' hands in a show of respect. Terry then came from the backstage area, accompanied by Bang, <laughs> accompanied by Gangrel, Freudian slip, because he bragged he had scored with Terry the previous night, causing the other four to then attack him. GTV went on the air, catching the boss man with the police officer who broke the bad news to the Big Show, revealing the entire incident to be a setup. Rock and Sock defended their gold against the Hollies in the main event. Mick left the Rock to take on both Hollies by himself. Just as Rocky looked like he was about to make a comeback, Triple H ran into the ring, pedigreeing him, allowing the Hollies to win the tag belts. Stone Cold appeared and laid Triple H out with a stunner as we went off the air. The final Raw of the month opened with Vince discussing the tag situation with the Outlaws. They demanded a title shot be the Hollies, but McMahon informed them the Hollies were to be facing Edge and Christian. Triple H demanded his scheduled title defence against Mankind be cancelled. After heated words were exchanged between the Outlaws and Triple H, McMahon decided the title match would stand, but the Outlaws would take on Stone Cold and The Rock later. Viscera defeated The Godfather in a winner-takes-all-the-hose match, thanks to interference from Mark Henry. Edge and Christian defeated The Hollies via DQ after Edge was attacked by the returning Scott Taylor and Brian Christopher. The Hardys ran out to help Edge and Christian clear the ring. Cole interviewed The Lut and May in the ring. Moolah announced that she wanted to retire and return the title since she was too old to give the deserved attention to the belt. Ivory came out to remind the champ of her rematch clause. Ivory then attacked Mae Young and defeated Moolah in a quick match to become champion for the second time. Big Show and Alba ended in a no contest after the boss man came out and addressed Show from the entranceway. Boss man told he went to the hospital to see the show's father and that he pulled the plug on him. 
Bossman showed Sho his father's watch, nailed Sho with a hammer, and proceeded to demolish it. China and D'Lo defeated Jericho and Richards in a tag match. Jericho powerbombed his partner and locked him in the walls of Jericho after the match. Mankind defeated Triple H via DQ in the title match after Val attacked Foley with a steel chair. Austin told Cole he respected The Rock and would team with him, but they were in no way friends. Michael Hayes spoke with Stephanie, telling him she was near 100% and she wanted Tess to beat an apology out of the Bulldog. Kane defeated Bubba Ray by DQ when Devon interfered. The Dudleys attacked Kane until X-Pac rushed to the ring to aid his friend at Tony's request. Bulldog faced Tess in a steel cage match. We saw Tess hit an elbow from the top of the cage. The posse ran into attacking. Suddenly Shane ran out, scaled the outside of the cage and leapt from the top onto the posse. Meanwhile the Bulldog disappeared from the ring area. The posse regained control, obliterating their former friend with spears and power bombs until Tess reappeared to help his brother-in-law to be. We saw footage of the Acolytes in a local bar, when one of the patrons made repeated racial insults towards Farouk, the Acolytes completely demolished the bar and several of the locals. And in our main event, in a segment we'll talk about more on the main show, we had DX reforming as the New Age Outlaws defeated The Rock and Steve Austin. Oh no! Wow! What a volatile situation this has developed in! You think these two guys are going to hook it up right here? You chant his name! Oh no! Oh! And Silk Shirt is coming off, JR! The Silk Shirt is coming off! And so is that rattlesnake baseball jersey, it looks like! Oh my! I personally would like to see the two of you beat the hell out of each other. We've heard your point of view, Rock. And Stone Cold, we certainly have heard your point of view as well. But the point of view we have not heard is perhaps the most important point of view. And that would be the point of view of Triple H, the World Wrestling Federation Champion. So Triple H, I know you can hear me. I'm sure you're watching The Rock and Stone Cold. So why don't we hear from you? Why don't we hear what your opinion is on this subject matter? Yeah, let's hear from the game. Come on out, Triple H. Come on. Now, wait a minute. I don't know if that's a good idea. Come on, Triple H. You want to face The Rock, Triple H, or you want to face Stone Cold? What about it, Triple H? Hold it, wait a minute. Is this on? Well, here comes. Well, we may get that answer in a heartbeat or two. I told you, Jay, the game's not afraid of anybody. Stone Cold, Steve Austin, or The Rock. Here he comes. Well, the game had no hold of our matchup. And no mercy was a batter and bruise game. You've got to give the devil his due. Triple H is still the World Wrestling Federation champion, whether we like it or not. 
his success at no mercy. Maybe his... I'm sure that each and every one of you came here tonight thinking that you were going to get to see the return of the triumphant Stone Cold Steve Austin as he walked through this curtain, the WWF champ. Well, you were all wrong. Thanks for the game. And I'm sure that pisses all of you off. But there are three people standing in that very ring that I'm sure it pisses off a whole lot more. Vince, how long before you realize you can't get the job done? It doesn't matter whether you put me against five guys at one time. It doesn't matter whether you change the stipulations at the last minute. It doesn't matter whether you bring in the almighty Austin. I will always come out on top. Now Vince, last night you stuck your nose in my business and you got your lights knocked out for it. Rock, you stuck your nose in my business. You got a bunch of busted ribs and internal bleeding. Austin, That champ directed. He is the champ. That's a game. He's not one. He is not a. He's not one of those. Austin, you crossed paths with me last night, and what the toughest sob got, what the man got, was he got beat. Wow. Hey, Triple H. I asked you out here for your opinion. That's all. Now, do you want to face the Rocket Survivor Series? Or do you want to face Stone Cold Steve Austin at Survivor Series? What is your opinion? What a choice. Did you know what I think? It doesn't matter what your opinion is. So much emotion here. You can feel it. Well, you know, Triple H, I got it, Triple H. I know exactly what you're thinking. I mean, let's face it. Come on, Triple H, you're the game, okay? You're the greatest player to ever play the game. You're the World Wrestling Federation champion. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking you want to face Stone Cold Steve Austin at Survivor Series. You're thinking, you're thinking you want to face the Rocket Survivor Series. Yeah. You know what? I bet you're even thinking you want to face them both on the same night at Survivor Series. Wait a minute. Where's he going, Jerry? I mean, let's face it. You be in the game and all, why you want to not only face them both on the same night, you want to face them at the same time. What? Yeah. Triple H at Survivor Series, you will defend the WWF Championship in a triple threat match against both Austin and The Rock. Oh my God, did you hear that? Did you hear that? 
So before we wrap up the show, there are a couple of weeks more of TV for us to look at um, and a couple of things I'd like to talk about uh, before we wrap up. Um, the following night on Raw, uh, we had The Rock come out and he was furious at Triple H for attacking him with a sledgehammer the night before. Um, Rocky said he was looking for a measure of revenge at Survivor Series, but before The Rock could finish his promo, Stone Cold Steve Austin made an appearance of his own making it known that he also considered himself to be the number one contender for the gold. Uh, that segment ended with Vince McMahon declaring that Triple H would be facing both The Rock and Austin in a triple threat match at Survivor Series. And in the uh, main event that that night, uh, The Rock and Stock Connection uh, defended their gold against the Hollies. And thank you, uh, thanks to interference from Triple H, uh, we have new tag team champions with the Hollies picking up the gold, winning the tag belts after pinning the rock. Uh, Austin uh, then came in and hit Hunter with a stunner as Raw went off the air. So all three men fighting and meddling with each other's uh, businesses (laughs) and uh, already the night after this as we build towards Survivor Series. So Eric, what did you make of the immediate fallout from No Mercy? And sort of what do you make of the... the thoughts and the direction for Survivor Series with Hunter defending against both men. Well, I, I think this is the logical spot to go. And Survivor Series has always been kind of the show where you can have the weird match formats. It was four on four, and then we had the tournament. And so, yeah, let's let's see if we get a good triple threat out of these guys. It'd be the second triple threat in a couple of months, which you know makes you wonder about the long term planning. But yeah, I I think. The good thing about this feud is if if it goes halfway decently, then you will have elevated Triple H to some degree of the level of Austin Rock. I think they put the belt on Triple H and given him an opportunity to to be elevated, and they they desperately need desperately need a top level heel because you can't turn Rock at this point, and Austin's only ever going to be Austin. He's infallible to a heel turn right now, so. Uh, I think, yeah, if you're going to go with Triple H and you're going to try to make him a star, just keep rubbing him up against these two guys as often and as frequently as possible. Maybe he even wins um, somehow. Maybe Austin and Rock get, get into a scuffle and Triple H sneaks out the back door again, like a Ric Flair or one of those heel NWA <clears throat> champions. And so at least they're sticking to the course here and seeing it through and giving giving these guys every opportunity to elevate uh, Triple H. I just don't want to see Austin take any more L's. So um, if they're going to get out of this match, I just think you got to keep Austin's nose uh, out of the finish somehow. Davinda, what did you uh, make of the direction for Survivor Series? Uh, it made a lot of sense. It was consistent with the night before. Um, you're talking about Triple H um, being elevated. And um, I think the possibility of him getting a decisive win over either men would definitely solidify his status as a main eventer. Um, right now he's kind of being looked at sideways. Like, uh, well, I don't know. You know, like, like you said, he's been given the opportunity, been given the opportunity to, uh, put himself at the level of these guys. And I think he's taking advantage of it and, um, excelling, if not doing the job that he should be doing as a top level heel. Um, I have been talking to a lot of friends. A lot of people don't buy him. Uh, I, I like the guy. And um, he got the win over Austin because of a rock interference. Now it's going to be a triple threat. And um, if he can keep up with the guy, with these guys and get the decisive win, 
I emphasis on decisive win. I think it will solidify his status as a main eventer. Yeah, I, I really like the direction for Survivor Series. It makes a lot of sense, and you, you've kind of got this ultimate heel in Triple H, and you can tell the story of, like, you're, like they'd be crazy to turn the rock, and obviously, as you rightly say, Eric, you can't, you can't turn Austin. So you've got this ultimate heel with the belt at the top of the food chain, but then you've got these two guys who are both vying for it but are going to get in each other's way so that's a great way of having them feud with each other while also both going for the belt and sort of it also gives hunter an out to maybe leave survivor series with the belt in the sense that these two guys rock and austin are just going to get in each other's way ultimately and which will allow hunter to sort of take advantage and sneak his way out of it with the title um it made a lot of sense as well sort of in the build to this uh the main event of uh survivor series in the 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 rock and sock connection losing their uh tag titles the night after because as you both rightly said throughout our pay-per-view review the fact they won the belts the week before didn't really make a lot of sense for the storyline um so it was a, a good decision to get them off them, get the uh, belts off of them as quickly as possible, um, freeing up the rock for sort of 100% focus on this sort of main event storyline as we work our way into Survivor Series. He'd probably call off and smarten him up with this. Well, maybe he did. Well, off the ring. Look out now. X Pac now into the ring. Oh! Heel kick on Bubba Ray. Come on, X Pac, a house of fire. Show you clean to the ring. And look out now. And here's a tag again to Kane. And X Pac brings Kane back into the ring. The big red machine. Oh, no! What? That was a low blow from X Pac to Kane in the yeah. X Factor. Damn it. What? And a cover by Bubba Ray. What the hell is going on? I don't know, but. Uh, the Dudley Here Boys have defeated. Dudley oh, Boys. come on now. What is X Pac doing? I don't know, but now Kane's back up. X-Pac, if I were you, I'd... X-Pac better hightail it out of there quick. And X-Pac's face-to-face with the big red machine. Oh, my gosh. He wants to be friends. Oh, oh, no. Billy Gunn now from behind. Triple H, the road dog. Again, a four-on-one attack by D-Generation X. I knew there was no place in DX for a softy like Kane. And DX now, the ambush on Kane again. He's a big red retard. That's all Kane is. There was a four-on-one against The Rock earlier on. And now a four-on-one with Kane. And Kane's about to feel the pedigree. Oh, man. Kane didn't deserve this. All Kane wanted to be was a friend, King. Oh, forget Kane friendship. Kane just wanted a friend. Look at this. I guess my job, Kane, your big ass is over. <laughs> Kane, your brother was right about you. You're weak, and you're not DX material. There ain't gonna be a new member of D-Generation X tonight, cause you're a piece of crap. Wow, come on now. And I'm sick of carrying you. That's it. Last thing I'd like to uh, talk about, one of the big developments of the month. Um, it took place in the main event of the final Raw of the month, um, <clears throat> which saw the New Age Outlaws taking on the Stone Cold Steve Austin and The Rock in tag competition. 
Um, the Rock nearly had the match won following a DDT. Triple H ran in uh, to the ring in an attempt to interfere, but Austin cut him off. But X-Pac ran in, drilled the Rock with a spinning heel kick, and then Hunter joined X-Pac and the Outlaws, continued beating down the Rock and Stone Cold Steve Austin. So Raw went off the air seemingly with the reformation of D-Generation X. This continued on to SmackDown later that week with DX opening the show. Triple H reminded us all that DX breaks all the rules and they are here for only one reason, just to run the show. X-Pac told the fans that they could expect a new member that night. Uh, Billy Gunn announced that he wanted to take Stone Cold on later in the evening and Road Dogg repeatedly insulted The Rock. Uh, Triple H called out Vince and told the owner that his services in the WWF were no longer needed because DX were taking over. Later that night, DX jumped The Rock backstage uh, and uh, tossed him into the trunk of his own car. Road Dog speeding off in the vehicle, leaving the rest of DX uh, at the arena. X-Pac later on that show also properly turned on Kane. He'd previously told him earlier on SmackDown uh, that his allegiance to Kane trumped his allegiance to DX. And that was just sort of a side venture. But during a match with the two of them taking on the Dudley boys, uh, X-Pac hit him low and told Kane that he was not DX material. And the Undertaker was right when he called the big red machine weak. Um, DX joined X-Pac and put the beating on Kane. And the show ended uh, with DX in the ring, Triple H calling out Stone Cold Steve Austin. Austin uh, came out. And uh, as part of cutting a promo, he ended up trapping DX in a huge net in the middle of the ring that fell from above. Uh, Kane and The Rock ran in and uh, Austin, Kane and The Rock, three men teamed up and beat on DX, uh, delivering a beating to them to bring an end to SmackDown, bringing an end to WWF TV for the month. Uh, Davinda, what do you make of the sort of DX reforming firstly and sort of all the angles at the end of the month and what DX reforming is boding well for sort of Hunter as this top heel. Definitely. Um, when DX formed the night after WrestleMania, well, I'm sorry, the second incarnation of DX formed the night after WrestleMania 14, when um, outlaws and X-Pac came in and they formed, it was a really cool uh, faction, mid-level faction, mid card faction. Uh, it was to elevate all members. And that's what it did. Um, throughout the show, I was kind of getting these these eerie feelings. I was like, damn it, I think this is going to be like these guys are just going to win all the time at the expense of other characters and the expense of their development. When I saw them beat down Kane, I'm like, Kane is not this guy. He's not the guy to be vulnerable. He's not the guy to be heartbroken because his best friend left him. Um, and I was hoping for a big segment. And that's what happened with uh, Stone Cold Rock and Kane um, immediately elevates rest of the members of Degeneration X. And it's going to be interesting because it's a heel dynamic now. So it's going it, to, they're going to wreak havoc. They're going to, they're going to trash every locker room. They're going to beat every guy up. And um, who knows, maybe, maybe uh, it'll be a DX versus some type of coalition of faces. You know, now that we got um, Stone Cold Rock Triple H in the main event, maybe that, that, that last member that they teased could come up at Survivor Series and start a traditional Survivor Series match 
Um, I was having eerie feelings about it because of their dominance, and I thought it was just going to be like that throughout the entire run. But um, I think they're playing it cool. I think, um, just like you guys said about the Outlaws, it makes sense when they're together. This must this um, must make sense now, feeling that DX is back together, and now a heel uh, faction, and just to see what they're going to be doing in the future against a bunch of faces. Not just one, but I'm pretty sure a bunch of them is going to gang up and try to finally go to war with DX. Eric, what did you make of everything at the end of the month? Ridiculous Austin net aside. I've said it throughout, like, this really feels like like Crockett 86. It's like you've got your heel champion forming a stable of a credible tag team in the Outlaws and a worker in X-Pac and, and China kind of the wild card maybe and like we're building to war games against like dusty and the road warriors only in this case it's austin and rock and a tag team who's feuding with the outlaws canes in there like this just feels very different for the wwf and i don't know it's not necessarily a jarring change or even something that the casual viewer would notice but like for those of us that break this stuff down in as much detail as we do this feels very very different and the Thinking about DX is like an upper card heel stable with the champion and, and the tag a team that can hold the tag belts and then you know your quote unquote TV champion your IC champion and X Pac like yeah this this could work um, this could be exactly what Triple H needs to kind of continue that build and really kind of help diversify the main event scene a little bit uh, I don't know what we're building to as far as these factions go because it's not like looks like we're not going to get any sort of special match at the survivor series and that's probably not going to sell very many tickets anyway but i do like it it is different yeah i think it's a another big step that to reintroduce a already familiar and over faction back to hunter when he's in this slot i mean it just solidifies his position at the top of the card um i love the idea like you say like it feels like you're building to a war games like the December pay-per-view, if, if Austin, uh, sorry, if Hunter does uh, leave um, Survivor Series with the belt, th- th- you could do some sort of like five-on-five, uh, some sort of five-on-five match. I mean, I mean, Survivor Series is is built for that type of match, but you could do that as a main event of the December pay-per-view. Um, definitely sort of DX versus whoever the uh, five faces would be in that scenario. And uh, I mean, I'd be on board for watching something like that. Um, it's, again, it's just adding more layers to Triple H's character, which is perfect and exactly what he needs at this stage in the game, really, because you don't want him to just be a one-dimensional hill. You want him to be diabolical and smart and methodical but also now he's got these people they can do his dirty work for him and it's just adding layers and adding credibility to someone who let's face it is definitely in through my eyes like levels below austin and and rock so the the more you can do to solidify that character the better when you're building towards a freeway match for the biggest title in the company at one of the biggest shows of the year so yeah a really positive end to the month in my mind and 
I think things are shaping up nicely for uh, November 99. One thing I wanted to add when you guys talk about the credibility and solidifying Triple H's position is that they don't forget to keep the credibility of his teammates. Um, I don't want it to turn into DX being just Triple H and his, his cronies, just Triple H and his pawns, you know, the guys that take the fall for him before the face finally gets to him. You know, I want all the guys just below Triple H, like all standing tall, all together in the same in the same line, not Triple H, throwing them to the wolves before the faces could get to him. Um, that's what I was saying earlier. I don't want it to be DX against one guy. Like, otherwise, it's going to be Triple H against that guy, and Triple H just uses the Outlaws and X-Pac. Um, it has to be top-level guys to also bring up, elevate the Outlaws and X-Pac in a team setting. You know, um, I just, I, I hope it goes that way for the sake of the Outlaws and X-Pac and how long it's been since these been established characters. I just don't want it to get lost in the fold because they're trying to make sure that Triple H stays on top. And you could definitely do that as well with the Outlaws. Like when we listed, I listed earlier the sort of six teams that I've held in a high regard within the tag division. And I mean, the Outlaws are the most experienced in terms of sort of like familiarity to the WWF audience, definitely. And um, having them in that tag division, you could easily have the belts on them the majority of the time, having them primarily in tag team feuds against these young like up and coming hungry teams putting on good hot matches because the crowd are always invested in outlaw matches but ultimately supporting Triple H and having his back against the main eventers not just being guys that like you say Austin beats Billy Gunn or Road Dog or or The Rock beats Eva or one of them on Raw on their way to facing Triple H you you can give them credibility through the through the fact that they are an over-experienced, credible tag team within a tag division that probably needs a bit of that to help guide the younger teams into the spotlight. Um, So having them play that role will be important. And, I mean, you've got that ready-made feud between uh, X-Pac and Kane, whereas Kane doesn't have his sights primarily on Hunter or the belt. It's just revenge on X-Pac at this stage. So you've got a feud there where you can hopefully you could get definitely more than one pay-per-views worth of matches out of that. And uh, I think through the, through the virtue that you can have people feuding with the individual members of DX, not just everyone gunning for triple H in the title, um, you can keep everyone relatively uh, credible, not just triple H. And I think that will do it for the October 1999 WWF coverage at the end of uh, two shows. Um, I'd like to thank, uh, firstly, Eric Landstrom for being on the show and your excellent contributions as always. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. And of course, uh, Davinda, thank you. Uh, I know you were on the WCW last month, but good to have you back on the WWF side of things. Yeah, thank you guys so much for having me. Um Davinda, or, or, well, Eric and Davinda, uh, do either of you have anything you'd like to plug? Eric, I'll come to you first. Anything you'd like to plug before we wrap up the show? Nothing to plug. Just go to our, uh, find us on Twitter at Wrestling20YRS. And I'm at, at Modern Day Lawyer. Um, and 
uh, yeah, give us feedback and give us a five-star review with a comment uh, on your favorite uh, podcatching platform. And Devinder, anything you'd like to plug it into the show? I'm a uh, proud, proud contributor to Wrestling 20 Years Ago. Uh, check out the website. Uh, check out YouTube, DNC Digital. I do a lot of gaming and on-camera interviews. Got an event coming up where I get to interview some awesome people, including Sergeant Slaughter. And um, you guys want to follow me on Twitter, DNC Digital. You can uh, shoot any questions you want me to ask him. Not a long, not a, not not just him. Carlos Farrell from Gears of War. Um, uh, Bill, uh, David Yoss, who actually was the first Blue Ranger. Um, if you guys want to check it out, RGV Fan Fest, Harlingen, Texas. I'll be there interviewing everybody. Uh, uh, Twitter, uh, DNC Digital. Instagram, DNC Digital. Uh, um, yeah, that's about it. Awesome. Thank you very much. And uh, one thing I'd like to plug, and Rory would be furious at me if I forgot. Um, the end of this year, we're going to do a very special mailbag episode of the podcast. I think we're going to have a handful of uh, people on there. We want you, the listener, to uh, submit questions. They can be uh, in timeline questions about the product. They can be about current wrestling or they can be about not wrestling at all. Whatever you'd like. If you'd like to ask any one of us. Uh, contributors to the show questions we're going to do a mailbag episode of the podcast to sort of it's kind of as a uh, end of year special um so uh find us on twitter at wrestling 20 yrs and make sure you uh, get your questions in ahead of the uh, end of the year recording of that and uh, no question too silly but uh, i'm sure rory will uh, properly vet everything before <laughs> we uh, get to showtime but yeah anything you'd ever wanted to ask any of us in timeline out of timeline about wrestling or about sports or music anything else um that's your chance to do it um but for now i've been your host chris white and uh, thank you very much for listening until next time goodbye <laughs>